this week on Invasion, the podcast, Rick Moranis is back, but at what cost? We celebrate all things romance and pickaxes as we talk about 1981's My Bloody Valentine. And we make a certain someone a dating profile. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and not to my left, and I am just, I'm lost without him. Somewhere in the distance wilds of Ohio, Steve is out there somewhere. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so. I'm, uh, I'm, we're trying an experiment tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, like Steve got tired of being in the same room with me. Uh, he, he now fears for his life since the attack. Uh, not me, but to my house. So he's now he's now at a safe location, somewhere undisclosed, and we're gonna we're just gonna see how this works. Yeah, he's in his little safe room. Well, I have to say, you know, there's the threat of snowmageddon tonight, so uh, <laughs> trying to avoid driving home uh, later this evening. So figured, well, let's give this a try uh, from home. It is nice though; I can do this now without pants. I mean, I could technically do it at your place without pants, but it'd that's be weird. true. It would be weird. I mean, especially with all of, like the direct eye contact the entire time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Like I like how you call it snowpocalypse and it, it, it was going to, I like how the weather forecast was like snow 100% for the next six hours. You're like, Oh, well that's great. But we've really had a really light winter in this part of Ohio. So like the first chance of like three to five inches, everyone's like, Oh my God. And people are just losing their minds. Um, yeah, yeah. I went to the, the store right before we started recording to pick up the uh, essentials, which is Miller Lite. No, no Moosehead? You didn't grab any Moosehead <laughs> beer? Find Moosehead. Uh, they didn't carry it at the Speedway, unfortunately. Yeah, I went. To, I, I looked for Moosehead. I, every time you turn around, you find Moosehead. I couldn't find Moosehead tonight, so I had to, I had to improvise, and I bought Labatt Blue Light. Uh, oh, so, nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... You know, I really wanted Moosehead, that skunky beer, you know, that it just is all over the film, My Bloody Valentine. But one thing I found while I was at the store, and I almost bought it just just for you, it was a clear out, like clear. It's like not like not like the stuff you find in the shopping cart, but like the like the back shelf. Like they're like, this is the end of the line for this product. It was a couple bottles of the Heinz mayo chip. Do you know what I'm talking about? The mayo ketchup? No. <laughs> I... <laughs> It's it's clearly if it's on clearance and being sold uh, uh, on the la- its last legs, it's probably not something that I'm going to want. Have you ever mixed uh, mayonnaise and ketchup and eaten with like your fries or whatever? Oh God, no! I mean, I I've done like you know mayo with ketchup and mustard on a burger, but no, I would never uh, think to dip my French fries in anything and uh, anything other than ketchup. Okay. And then sometimes ketchup and mustard. But so I, I know you're trying to get back on like the good train and not eat badly, but there's something to be said for you know mayonnaise and ketchup. Like you've seen Step Brothers, right? Um, the Will Ferrell, John C. Riley film. So here's an admission. I feel like I've seen it because there are memes everywhere. About oh, okay. It. Um, 
but I have not actually seen it. So I've not actually physically watched the movie. There's a whole bit there wherever, uh, uh, was it uh, Mary Steenburgen makes something called um, Brendan's special sauce, and it's it's just mayonnaise and ketchup. And, uh, and John C. <laughs> Riley wants some, and he's like, "No, it's Brendan's. It's mine." He's like, "Well, I want fancy sauce. <laughs> it's this whole thing." <laughs> so yeah, but but uh, but Heinz thought that they try to you know jump on that train and sell it. And this is actually something if you go out west, like to to like Utah or Colorado, I think they call it pink sauce. I, okay. I just yeah, I don't know, but they also had something called Cranch, which was uh ketchup and ranch and that sounds disgusting to me i don't know why that's like just that's just a shade away from mayonnaise but i'm like no i can't handle that so did have have i talked about our experience in scotland and how like everything came with mayo (laughs) no okay so uh gosh it'd be three years ago now we went to um we went to england and uh before we did that we went to scotland first and everywhere we ate, like everything came with mayo and which was weird because like we went to like a Mexican style restaurant and it was like, do you want, you know, some mayo? I'm like, no, we're getting tacos. Like, <laughs> why? I, I would probably try it. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't, I don't want ranch, but give me some mayo and some taco sauce and I'll, you know, that's great. I'll no. <laughs> I, I think isn't mayonnaise also like a thing that they do in Canada with everything supposedly like everything comes with mayonnaise. I think so. Um, I, I feel like that and poutine are the, the big thing. Well, and Canadian bacon, obviously. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know what it is? It's ketchup and macaroni and cheese. Ugh. No, that's the other thing. No, can't do it. That sounds disgusting to me. So, all right. Um, yeah, enough, enough about that. But yeah, Mayo chip, uh, it's on sale now. Just go find it for like six cents or whatever they're selling it for. I like that <laughs> even in the middle of like the potential snowstorm, everyone's like, you know, we got all the essentials. We, we, we're good. We don't need that. You know, <laughs> you know all the Mayo chips still there. Well, if somebody's looking for things to get me that I wouldn't like, it's like, hey, here's a copy of Joker and some mayo chip. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you watch Joker finally or no? No, I haven't yet. Okay. So uh, it's unfair of me to say it that way. So, um, so but you did you did tell me that you watched uh, watched Terminator Dark Fate because I forced a digital code upon you for that film. <laughs> yes, you were like, here, take it and watch it. You're gonna like it. Yeah, well, like because I told you last week, I was like, I'm gonna buy it, and you're gonna get a copy, and I, I made you know made promise on that. And you're like, I thought this is gonna be a copy of the Joker. I'm like, no, it's just Dark Fate. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I will say this: there were some blind buys that I've made on Voodoo, for instance, Wizards, um, that I now am regretting having in my library. I do not regret having Dark Fate in my library. <laughs> so is, is that damning it with fate praise? No, I I, I liked it. Um, I feel like it's the same as, and this is my letterbox review. It's the same as anything that came after two. Uh, it's, it's a fine chapter for a story that ended in 1991. <laughs> so I guess I just, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to throw the, I'll throw the spoiler out. Just, I'm not going to say it, but I just want to, there's, there's huge spoilers being in the film. Let's throw one of these out here. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Were you expecting the story to kind of turn on a dime like in the first couple minutes? I was not expecting that. So I had that ruined. Oh, well, then never uh, so I, I expected it. Oh, I had no idea that was going to happen. So maybe that's why I was like, oh, this is something different. I, I you're, the, the, it didn't it didn't reinvent the wheel. I just think that it it polished the hell out of it. 
And I, there's a lot that I liked about it. So I guess my barrier for entry was so low that I ended up like liking it a great deal. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm putting it up against Rise of the Machines, which is a movie that I also like. I'm not, I'm not saying that that is high art. Um, I'd probably rate them about the same. Um, your analogy last week of them being alternate timelines, I think, works pretty well. Granted, uh, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger doesn't get to get his clothes from a male stripper this time, but <laughs> no movie's perfect. Uh, no, I, I dug it. Um, it the only thing I really like, if I had any criticism of it, it's really that I felt like even with Schwarzenegger and uh, it's Robert Patrick in the second one, right? I feel like I always yeah. mess that up. Okay. Robert Patrick in the second one. Like, I feel like the Terminators, even though they're Terminators, they still have a personality. I didn't get that from Ghost Rider as the Terminator. Like, I feel like he never got to have like a comedic moment or anything other than just being the Terminator. So that's not like a huge beef. That's not a reason to be like, oh, I hate the movie, but I just, that was the one thing I was like, yeah, I kind of wish they'd have given him a little bit of personality. Like what if he would have like split in two as the Rev nine and high fived himself or something like that had been pretty cool. Like you know, <laughs> liquid form metal form. Like we did a good job. No. Um, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I just went out and bought it on Blu-ray. I'm happy that I own it. I think I'm going to like, I, I buy so many movies anymore that I liked in the theater and then I just never watch again. I just, I don't know what that is with me, but this is one that I feel like I could easily sit down and watch like the first two in this one, like in a day and be content, you know, like, is there, is there a little too much reliance on some of this, like the computer generated stuff during some of the fight scenes? Yeah. But I mean, it's 2020, you're going to get a lot of that. I just like that. Um, when I was reading what uh, Tim Miller was, when he was working with Cameron, uh, Cameron just handed him like a notebook full of like unused ideas for action set pieces and they kind of weaved it together. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I do want to go back because I feel like I remember after the movie came out and after it was sort of decided that it wasn't a success at the box office, Miller sort of came out and I, I wouldn't say that he was throwing, you know, Cameron under the bus, but I, I do believe he was saying like it was a very tough movie to make and his relationship with Cameron was not always great. So I'm kind of curious to know if that maybe that's what I read into it. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but I feel like I didn't want to read too much because I'd already had the one thing spoiled for me. But I remember seeing a, a few things that were like his and Cameron's relationship was kind of rough at certain times no, just because you're, you're not wrong like miller comes out the other end saying like i respect him and it was like it's an experience but he's like i don't think we'll ever work together again but he he also couched that in saying like i you know i don't dislike him it's just that we have two different styles and different visions so i think that's the most diplomatic way of saying hey we got we got through this in one piece on the other end but we should probably never work together again okay yeah because I, I remember seeing a few like stories and in, in articles but like i said once i'd had that one piece spoiled for me about what happens at the beginning of the film i was like well i'm not reading anything else until he's home yeah like so I, I and i have no idea how i was able to uh flit on by until actually watching it without having that part spoiled because i feel like that was something that was ripe for someone to come in and just ruin you know like so i guess i live a little bit obliviously but either way i'm glad that you watched it so yeah um all right. I, yeah, I got, I got nothing else. My weekend was full of, um, was full of, uh, uh, frustration and sadness because it seems like 2020 wants to just do all sorts of things. And we had to say goodbye to a cat this weekend. So it was a very frustrating weekend. So I didn't get to do a lot of like movie watching fun. 
and it, it stinks, you know? Um, so I'm I, not, not that I'm bringing up like, well, you got to watch Terminator. I got to say goodbye to a cat. That's not what I meant, but just normally I have a whole bunch of things to talk about and nope, this weekend kind of sucked. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I am sorry about that. I, as you well know, uh, we've had some, some rough issues with our, our animals yeah. and having to say goodbye in the last couple of years as well. So, I, I know that that's not easy and it certainly does not make for a good weekend. No, so. but suppose, so already, so my, my, uh, my wife already has eyed a cat that is in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I'm like, well, we don't know yet. And then she already called them. They're like, well, they're going to hold him for us till Saturday. I'm like, all right. So we're going to Erie to go look at a cat. And I'm like, but what if we don't, she's, and she's already thinking of names. I'm like, we don't know if we'll like this cat. We're going to get this cat. That's <laughs> what's going to happen. <laughs> um, well, while you're, while you're in uh, Pennsylvania, if you could pick me up some iron city, because, uh, <laughs> you were, you were lamenting the fact that, uh, you could find Moosehead when we went to, uh, um, Pittsburgh for the uh, Dawn of the Dead show at the uh, Monroeville Mall. I couldn't find Iron City anywhere, and I'm like, this feels wrong that we're not drinking Iron City right in the mall that Dawn of the Dead fi- filmed in. Yeah, so. and, like, and when I was last in uh, Pennsylvania, it was like a real quick turnaround. I checked the gas station; I couldn't find it. So I will make it. A, uh, uh, I'll make a point while we're out there. There's these. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them, like these gas stations called Turkey Hill. I don't know why they're called that. They're weird, but they're all over Pennsylvania. I will definitely stop at a Turkey Hill and see if they have some Iron City. That's that. I that sweet seems appropriate. So I will. I will do that. Yes. While we pick I appreciate up, it. While we pick up a small black cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all right, yeah, that's uh, that that was my weekend. Um, I also want to say before all the sadness, though, Friday night uh, we went to go see the Sklar Brothers downtown. Um, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Sklar Brothers or not. Um, they're identical twins and they're comedians and actually you saw them in, uh, the most recent season of glow. They were the, the scumbags that, uh, Mark Merritt's character brought in backstage and they were making all the horrible comments to the girls. If you remember. Yeah. I've, I've seen that. I don't know that I've actually seen any of their comedy, but I feel like I've seen them in like a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, I know they're in better call Saul, I think for a minute. Um, but like they're, they're hilarious. And the fact that they're like identical twins, it's weird because they have the same voice, but like their timing is crazy. Cause obviously they, they work bits out together and just some of the back and forth and just, it just, I don't think I've ever seen a comedy routine like that ever. And I don't think I ever will again, but it was, it was a hoot. So I will say I had a good Friday night and then the rest of the weekend was a little loose. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing that I did over the weekend, um, was, uh, I watched, all of the Apple Plus series, first season, uh, Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. Yeah, how was that? It's hilarious. Like, I I was ready to not like the show, not because uh, the... So, let me go back. So, we watched the trailer for it, and I was like, it doesn't look that good. And I knew that the, the people who, uh, behind uh, Charlie Day and Wes, Rob um, McKelney. Yeah, Rob McKelney. McK- That's right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. it's Rob. Um, the people behind uh, Always Sunny were involved, and I've only watched Always Sunny through the third season, so I don't have as much of a context as everybody else does. But I was like, "Oh, let's, let's you know, it's a half hour, and it's got um, Danny Putty in it. It's it's um, it looks to be really, you know, like it could be funny. Let's give it a chance." And uh, for somebody who knows literally almost nothing about video games. Oh, I, you would love this show. Like for everything that I got out of it, you would be howling. I think. Okay. Um, because it's all about 
this online game very similar to your um, I was going to say War of the Worlds, but that's not correct. Yeah, my War, War, War of the Worlds craft. It's just me running in a straight line like Tom Cruise away from <laughs> large ships. So, yeah, um, I, I would say that uh, of the shows that we've watched on Apple Plus, um, because we got a free subscription because my wife got an iPhone last year. Um, I would say that so far it's been my favorite. Uh, and there has been some good stuff on there. Um, again, I don't think anybody's running out to subscribe to Apple Plus or at least pay for it at this point. Uh, but I, I'm in for a season two, I hope, because the first season is only nine episodes, but it was really funny, had really great dramatic moments in it at different times. And the thing that it reminded me of, not because it's like Scrubs, but Scrubs is one of my all-time favorite TV shows and I remember watching the, the commercials for it before the first episode aired I was like this show looks terrible <laughs> and it it started after Frasier and I just left the TV on and luckily the first like two minutes of Scrubs had me laughing so I left it on and it quickly became my favorite show but um, yeah the, if you watch the trailers the trailers don't do it justice I think it's a really funny show and if you have Apple Plus and you're a gamer, even if you're not a gamer, I, I would recommend it. Awesome. So. Yeah, I was reading some reviews of it, and it seems like something that I would be definitely interested in. So, yeah, I, I do I do want to see it. I, I it, It's always so he's been that thing that I had a love-hate relationship with to begin with because I just – I don't know, man. The first – Actually, the the first episode of it, actually, they, they aired it on Fox, like after it came on FX, and they actually edited some of it for broadcast, and I didn't realize it. So, like, probably the jokes didn't work well, and I just felt like it was just a bunch of guys smiling at each other, like how funny we are, and I just mm-hmm. I didn't much care for it. And then over time, everybody got comfortable with the show, like them making it and their characters, and as much as they're all terrible to each other, I just, it's for being on for what, like 14 seasons now, it is crazy how consistent and and great and terrible it is at the same time. Like I, I love it's always sunny now. So I'm looking forward to anything else they do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really in for this and it makes me want to go back and start watching some more. Uh, it's always funny. <laughs> if you do, I'd, I'd watch it with you. Cause that stuff just cracks me up. So yeah. All right, good. I'm glad you got a chance to check that out. I'm glad that there's a, uh, uh, some more stuff to come to Apple TV because I know that was a little lean there to start. So hopefully there's more good stuff coming. Yeah. I mean, I feel like once they get past the uh, free year that they gave to anybody and everybody who bought an Apple product in the last year, um, they'll have at least a catalog built up for new subscribers. But again, I think w- one of the issues with Apple plus is, is that like, there's not movies there really. So you know, when you subscribe to your Hulu's, your Disney Pluses, your uh, Netflixes, you know, there's a huge selection of movies. It's not just all TV. And I feel like that's where they're going to be lacking. And I think that's going to be a barrier for people. So so they don't have the Ashton Kutcher, Steve Jobs movie on there to watch like that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but to be fair, I didn't look for it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to guess they didn't. So, all right. Uh, yeah, that was our, that was our weekends up and downs as they may be. Uh, let's just, yeah, let's just get on to, to some news. Good news, everyone. And here Steve was worried that this long distance thing wasn't going to work out, but we still found a way to fill 20 minutes at the start of just random stuff. So I think we're doing okay. 
Um, all right, first story I have here. Uh, this is surprising. Uh, Rick Moranis is actually coming out of retirement to do a uh, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel. Um, of all the things for him to come out of retirement for, this this is the one that feels weird to me. But I'm not I'm not against it because I love Rick Moranis. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've never seen either of the Honey movies. Or was it Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, I think? And there was the third one, like Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves or whatever. It was like, uh, yeah, it had Wayne Knight and it wasn't it wasn't good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like how you're laying it at the feet of Wayne Knight. Like, well, no, I don't, fault. you know, I like Wayne, but it's just like, you're like, it's got, I, it was, it was a direct sequel. I just don't know if it made, I don't know if it was a theatrical release because 89 was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 92 was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid or Blew Up the Baby or whatever it was. And the 97 was We Shrunk Ourselves. So I don't know if it was an actual theatrical release or like a direct to video movie. I don't remember. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, uh, I think most people know this at this point, but. You know, Moranis had left the industry simply because his, his wife, I think, had cancer and passed away. And he was like, I'm going to take care of my kids. And, you know, I have the luxury of being able to walk away. Um, and I I think that's awesome. And I'm glad that he's either he's getting like a ridiculous payday or maybe it's something that he's like, oh, I'm ready to, you know, dip my toes back in the water. Because I think he has done some Bob and Doug stuff like here and there, but Bob and Doug is at this point is sort of cult. I would say as far as it's following goes. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see him come back. I mean, it makes sense for him, whether it's Ghostbusters 2016 or the current one to be like, you know what? I don't really know that I want to make a cameo. That makes sense to me. Um, clearly they're going to do something with him here where he's going to have a, a larger role. Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll say, yeah, he has been intermittently, he'll do some voice acting stuff, which you mentioned. He was, uh, there was like a season of a Bob and Doug thing that I didn't watch. Uh, there was also a season of like a Spaceball show that he did um, that I remember not being very good. And he also, he actually came, he did the voice of uh, uh, Darth Helmet in an episode of The Goldbergs. So I guess that's the touchstone now for everybody to show up and do that. But, um, so yeah, he's done stuff. And he was also in that, uh, Disney film from a few years ago, by a few years ago, I mean, probably like 20 now that brother bear where it was him and Dave Thomas, they were playing moose together that were basically Bob and Doug McKenzie. Um, so he's not just acting. He's not actually been in front of the camera and I don't, you know, I don't blame him. Like he's also a very successful songwriter. He's released a few albums. Like he's been busy. Um, with that being said though, I'm happy for Rick Moranis coming back. I'm not happy for the 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 main casting of the film. I feel like this is going to be that shadow that follows me no matter what happens. Um, oh, was Josh Gad Josh Gad uh, <laughs> cast? Yes. Why? So supposedly he's going to be like the son of you know Rick Moranis's character. I just I'm 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 just done with Josh Gad. Why do you have to get close <laughs> to the things that I love? You know so. Yeah, so that's why I said at what cost, you know. <laughs> It'll be written by Ernest Klein. <laughs> It'll star Josh Gad. Yeah, be like, like we shrunk all these references down and just stuck them into this movie, you know. <laughs> no, actually, um, what was it? Uh, shoot. Um, let's see here. Uh, Joe Johnson. Uh, that's I, I'm going to mess. Like that's uh, Joe Johnston. Yeah, guy who directed the first film. He's actually coming back to do this one as well. So, I that gives me hope. So we'll Captain see. America's Joe Johnston. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I guess the thing that people most associate him with is uh, is probably 
either the Empire Strikes Back, since he created a lot of the uh, imagery for that that wasn't uh, McQuarrie, and then obviously I think he designed the Boba Fett costume. Um, but I, I didn't realize he directed the first Honey I Shrunk the Kids movie, so that's kind of cool. I like that you're like Captain America's Joe Johnson. I, I would like before that people would be like, "Who's directed Captain America?" You mean Honey I Shrunk the Kids, Joe Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I believe he also, and this I'm a I'm a poor comic book fan. Uh, I've never seen the Rocketeer film, and I, I've heard that's he did. quite good. And he directed that. Yeah, and so whenever Disney Plus first launched, um, and this is only a couple months ago, but I, I did you notice like like logging in there would be like these things where it's like I'm gonna click on this movie, and I know it's there, and it wants to play. It's just not working. Like Disney Plus had some major issues, or it'd play like ten seconds and just stop. One of the first things I wanted to watch was The Rocketeer. I just couldn't get it started, and I was frustrated. So, yeah, that, that movie's great. Yeah, I think I still have it in my queue. I think I put that in there, and Willow, because I haven't seen Willow in, like, 25 years. And there was something else. Oh, uh, I think my wife went to go look for uh, Adventures in Babysitting, and uh, it was like, oh, we're sorry. It's not going to be available until, like, April or something ridiculous, because it's... It's on somewhere else, which I always thought was funny that Disney Plus was like, we're going to put movies that we can't put on here yet. Yeah. But we're going to tell you they're coming when you try to add them to your queue. Yeah. Like, I mean, you just, I, I kept looking at like, they show you all the Star Wars things. It's like, you can look at them. Doesn't mean Solo's <laughs> here, you know? So, yeah. Uh, it's surprising that Adventures of Babysitting isn't listed under the Marvel heading, though, because that is the first Thor film. So you think that'd be part of... <laughs> their whole their whole legacy thing um but but yeah i will see i'm glad rick Moranis is coming back clearly like you said it's probably for a bigger role than just like you know a wave to the camera move on um i i love him i mean like how can you not like love rick Moranis? like little shop of horrors is still an amazing film and he's so good in that like as a lead like you just you forget how sweet and funny he is and like a lot of um his dialogue at ghostbusters being like when he's talking in the like in the hallway and at the parties and everything that was all improvised like the guy's funny and i miss that yeah yeah and i mean i can't get through christmas without at least listening to uh bob and doug's 12 days of christmas <laughs> uh it's a staple for me and uh um i i Every time I watch Strange Brew, it gets funnier and funnier. And I think we've talked about doing Strange Brew at some point, but man, oh man, I, I, it's such a it's such an odd film uh, because it's completely not like what you would expect a Bob and Doug movie to be. I mean, I guess it kind of is, but uh, well, we'll save that for another talk. Yeah. But well, every time I watch that movie, it gets funnier to me. I, I think I think we should talk about one because it's an amazing film in the sense, like, I mean, it's okay. Amazing is probably not the right word. It's it's a it, it's a film I love, and there's so much about it I do love. It's just that since it was like the only film made out of an SCTV skit, it's yeah. kind of this weird outlier. So I think that would be worthy of talking about. Not that my knowledge of SCTV is great, but how many you know how many Saturday Night Live movies are there? So this is. Yeah, we'll do it. I, I I was wanting to do it for like Oktoberfest, but then every time we think about it, September's gone, and then we're into Halloween. Like I always forget yeah. about it. So we'll we'll remember this time. Probably not. All right. All right. Anything else about Rick Moranis? We're excited for him. I'm not excited for Josh Gad, but you know your mileage may vary. Hopefully, they shrink him immediately in like real life, and then Josh Gad's never seen again. Maybe that's the movie. Honey, we sh we shrunk Josh Gad, and we can't find him. And that's the movie. And I'm standing up and applauding at the end. Like, get this movie the Oscar. 
<laughs> or he's just killed in the first like 15 <laughs> minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, t- I, you know, I would be, I'd be happy either way. So, all right. Uh, all right, moving on. Next story we got here is uh, Warner Brothers um, decides, since uh, we talked about Harley Quinn and uh, the film Birds of Prey, like t- talking about Harley Quinn, the character last week, and how the film Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, um, it didn't perform at, like as expected um, at the box office. It only made $33 million. Uh, it was still number one for the week, but it was a really weak week. Um, and they were expecting it to be around the 50, 45 to 50 million, something like that. It didn't hit there. So Warner brothers is freaking out and they're renaming the film Harley Quinn birds of prey to try to get people. They, I, I don't know if they think the movie go to going audience is like stupid, but that feels like they're like, no, no, no guys, this is the, this is the, the comic book movie. Check it out. So I'm kind of torn on this uh, because I do feel like the marketing in the film was terrible. Um, but I don't know that you can entirely blame the marketing because the posters that came out for it, like were all, uh, Harley Quinn. And my main complaint about the marketing was, is like, I know that it says it's a birds of prey movie, but I don't see birds of prey anywhere here in this, this movie. Like I don't see them anywhere. And, you know, when it comes to the actual, uh, trailers and everything, they make appearances, but I don't know that I, I, I remember, talking about the first trailer i think on the show and i was like i know the huntress is supposedly in there and you're like oh it's it's mary elizabeth winstead and i'm like it is and you're like yeah she's on a motorcycle for like one second and i'm like fair enough <laughs> but <laughs> um I, I think people knew it was a harley quinn movie i think a bigger problem that they're gonna have to overcome and this is definitely something that they're gonna have to consider when they put out suicide squad 2 is that maybe people just didn't like suicide squad <laughs> And yeah. so they're staying away from this. That's true. I just, this is the third instance that I can think of in which a film gets uh, the name changed just to try to like establish some boundaries in the sense of like, this is what the viewers want. Right. So we got this one. Uh, the most recent one was the, was the ghostbusters uh, movie, which was then renamed to ghostbusters answer the call. So that way they could, uh, you know, be like, no, 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 no. This is different than the one with the dudes in it, which you know, whatever, um, and then also there was Edge of Tomorrow, which was the Tom Cruise film that uh, they they um, changed to uh, was it Live Die Repeat, which was the tagline for the movie. Um, and for whatever reason, when they when they released that to to Blu-ray, they gave it that title as opposed to Edge of Tomorrow, um, because they were trying to like I don't know refocus what the movie was about. Yeah, and I mean, it's weird just simply because of the fact that when we had our discussion last week, I'm like, yeah, Margot Robbie is one of the highlights of the film. You know, I mean, Suicide Squad is by far not the worst movie that they put out, even with in just the last like five, ten years, you know, they've been doing this. But I do wonder, too, if the R rating is a barrier, because it, it, it seems odd to me that, you know, a superhero movie that's kind of based around women you know has an r rating so admittedly you know i don't i'm sure there are plenty of kids sneaking into it but those dollars probably aren't going to birds of prey <laughs> that's fair i mean had they named the film from the get-go uh, harley quinn birds of prey i think that would have you know helped a lot it's just odd for you know it, it's just odd to see the the the, the shuffling around like a week after because it's like I think that I think the damage is done 
You know, I think the people that wanted to see it are going to see it. I don't think it's going to have this uptick or a, I don't think they're expecting an uptick. I think they're hoping that the drop off isn't as severe from week to week. Like it seems to be anymore with box office where you have a film that comes out of the gate relatively strong. In this case, this one was not, but then the drop off is crazy, you know, like from word of mouth or whatever. I think they're just trying to like, I don't know, like lessen the bleeding. Uh, I guess I'm guilty because I didn't go see it. Um, and I was excited for it. So regardless of the name, I didn't get to it. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the reason that this and Terminator dark fate didn't do well. It was all your fault. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not like people stayed home to watch the Oscars. So that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's also like, I think, I think Deadpool was the aberration in terms of like a February release doing really well. And they showed that you can have a movie come out in February and be strong. Cause like the January, February used to be like the dead months. And so then you had that. And then like, I know, was it like a year later Kingsman came out? The first Kingsman came out around Valentine's day and it did pretty well. So I think movie studios are starting to think, Nope, this could be like the early, early spring to summer rush. And so maybe if this was actually pushed out a little bit closer to summer, maybe it would have done stronger. I don't know. Cause it's really hard to pick like when a film is appropriate to release. Yeah. And, and I think it's odd too, that, uh, again, this goes to the fact that DC doesn't seem to really have a plan at this point. They're just kind of throwing whatever they can at the wall to see what sticks. Uh, they had this billion dollar Joker film that came out and, you know, there's no connection to that in this. So I think they're scratching their heads going, why didn't people come out in droves for this? We gave it an R rating and it's quirky. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We we're it's, it's above our pay grade to understand, but it's just, it's just weird that like, I felt like you're right. The marketing on this was a little weird, but I, but generally as much as I've been reading and like reactions, I, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect it to underperform. I thought it was going to do quite well considering, but you know, I'm not good with this stuff. I have no idea. What am I? I'm just, I'm sitting in my pajama pants, like, you know, in a room by myself talking. So I, clearly I'm not <laughs> that good at any of this. So whatever. Um, yeah. All right. I got, I got nothing else about that. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add about, uh, that story. I mean, it's nice to hear a story come out about DC that isn't releasing the Snyder cut. <laughs> what, if, what if they would have named it? Harley Quinn, the Snyder cut. Like, do you think that would have been, or, or to piss off the fanboys, Harley Quinn, birds of prey, not the Snyder cut. That would have been even better. I feel like that would have been the film to take the piss out of everything. That would have been great. Um, but it probably wouldn't have helped it. I, I would have liked it, but then again, I'm all about like the, the, you know, the assassination of Josh Gad, you know? So, you know, Clearly, I'm coming from a weird spot tonight, so deal with that. And I don't really mean that for real. I just mean like the career assassination of Josh Gad. How about that? He's made enough money. He's a, he's a snowman. He can live for the rest of his life off that Disney money. And he doesn't have to bother me anymore after that. That's my thought. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Did you have something you want to add about uh, about <laughs> no. Okay. I don't think I can top that. Oh, okay. Good. So n- next story. 
Uh, so Epic Games, uh, which is a studio that's actually, they're actually behind Fortnite as well now I think about it, which is the bigger thing. They were behind Gears of War uh, for a while there, and they've done some other stuff. But um, the, the here's the headline. I'll read the, the first bit, and then I'll read the update. Headline, and this is from IGN, uh, Epic Games boss says all politics should be removed from game companies. Uh, during his keynote talk at the annual DICE summit, uh, Epic Games founder and CEO Tim Sweeney argued to keep politics out of gaming and away from developers so that marketers can sell games from a neutral ground. Um, so there's a lot in this article, but after he said that, he did provide a tweet update that said later, here's one of the key views I shared at uh, DICE. If a game tackles politics as To Kill a Mockingbird did as a novel, it should come from the heart of the creatives and not from marketing departments seeking to capitalize on division. So um, I think he backpedaled a little bit, but I also think that he threw that first statement out there without clarification. So that's Fortnite's making money hand over fist right now. It's like one of the biggest things ever. And, you know, if you're going to be making that kind of money and drawing all this attention, when you say things like that, it, people are going to stop and talk about it. And it, this surprised me that statement of, um, you know, like politics should be removed from games. I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And I think he tried correcting it a little bit. Yeah. I feel it's weird considering that I've heard many people describe Fortnite as the, to kill, kill a mockingbird of video games. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is, you know, like, because I don't know if you've read To Kill a Mockingbird. It's it's 50 people on an <laughs> island. They're all trying to kill that mockingbird is what it is. <laughs> it's very accurate. You know, uh, Jimmy Stewart did really well in that movie. Uh, version of that. <laughs> Guy's a crack shot. No, I mean, so I, I think I, I don't I don't. If he's speaking from like, well, average, like, you know, advertising executives shouldn't be trying to capitalize on division. Like I, I, he might be, he might be taking a swipe at, um, I forget the name of the company, but there's the Wolfenstein games that have come out recently, uh, which is all about this alternate history of like, what if Nazis won? And they really leaned into like, you know, like take the fight to them. And like, they, like they're saying things in these games, like they're advertising. It's like, it's very reflective of like the times right now. And you know, whether you agree with that marketing or not, that's a whole other discussion. But I don't know if he's talking about that, but that's what it kind of feels like to me. Yeah, we're in this weird place now where people seem to to want to say, like, I don't want politics in my, you know, uh, my entertainment. But it's always been there, particularly if you're talking about, uh, we'll say, the geek culture, um, whether it's comic books, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek. It's it's always been there. I think that's one of the big things that always surprises me is, is that I, I I think and again, maybe this is just me giving too much credit. But, you know, the whole point of Star Trek was that we get beyond all this <laughs> and we come together as a race and and do something bigger than ourselves. And, um, you know, Picard has that line, I think, in First Contact where he says, you know, money no longer became our goal in life and we decided to work together da, 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 da. so like there's always been this bright future um that's always put up against you know whether it's the roddenberry era where he would you know definitely break boundaries with race and things like that or um i i'm getting off topic but i'm no, just always you're, you're surprised not, like i mean like twilight zone like i know that's something near and dear to me like a lot of it was firmly rooted in politics and discussion and yeah uh, it, like it's like i i don't think 
I think saying something like that, if the notion is you want to have the biggest, broadest appeal uh, and, and try not to offend somebody, you know, I, you, I don't think you want... I don't think you necessarily want to go out of your way to be like, I'm going to make something that's going to just piss everybody off. I mean, I guess if that's your intent, fine. Don't expect to sell a lot of copies of whatever it is, whatever, you know, be a movie, video game or however. Uh, but if, like he said, if it's in the minds of the creatives and the people honestly, like this is what the story they want to tell and this is what they want to do, then I think that's where, you know, you can, I, you shouldn't extinguish that flame immediately because it's like, Gears of War was based off the whole there's a lot of like it's very much like a World War II type of propaganda in that game where it is like you know the last stand of humanity versus the um, the locusts and it's all like it, and they even took a quote about the that was that the Gears of War are fueled by like the bones and blood of those that like you know uh, that serve or something to that effect so it's like he it's, it's, it's steeped in that so it's hard to be like you should take politics out of games but you should go buy Gears 5 like it feels weird you know like it's it's a weird I don't know. I, I just, I think it's a, it's a weird statement. Cause also too, you think about some of the more successful things recently. Like you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier, Joe Johnston with captain America, like the winter soldier is a great film. It tackles a lot of like interesting, conflicting political ideologies, you know, like, and that drives the story forward. And it's also still a crowd pleasing film. You know, I don't know why you have to separate the two. Yeah, and I mean, again, I'm not a gamer, so I, I don't know that I can point to any specific games and be like, you know, this had a, well, I can't actually, but I, I can't say like, oh, this had a point of view politically and this didn't, but it doesn't seem to be hurting the gaming industry either way. I mean, the only thing that I ever hear about the gaming industry politically is Gamergate crap. Yeah. And which, thankfully, yeah. I don't know that much about it, and I prefer not to be. And I'm like, hey, a bunch. It sounds like a bunch of assholes who are being awful to people. Like they, that's... they were using a lot of that as a guise just to be terrible to others. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, but like, what if I told um, you Dig Dug was secretly about it was pro fracking? What if I told you that? No, I'm joking. That's not true. <laughs> I, I mean, isn't that what uh, Dig Dug's all about? Yeah, he just I have to go underground and and blow and and and, and you know use my gas jets to blow up stuff. And yeah, that's what Dig Dug. It's all about fracking that we didn't know the future. The future was now at that point. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that like this is just speaking to the idea of 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 any creative outlet. That I, I do think that as a creator, you do if if you have to balance in your head what what's worth it to you, you know. And I just I just think that immediately saying to somebody, we got to get this out of this because if you're going to appeal to a lot of people. That it's like then then ultimately I mean I guess if your goal is to make as much money as possible sell your soul like I mean I guess you know that's why that stuff exists but it's just like Epic Games started off as kind of like it was a small thing and it got big and it's now it's gotten huge I'm gonna guess that its first days that statement would have not have been allowed in the room yeah that's that's my belief well it, it's also just odd from any sort of point of storytelling where. I can't imagine being a creative person in the room and like, Oh, this is all off base. Like this is all off hands. You can't touch any of this. Like that would be frustrating as hell. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I, like I play world of Warcraft a, a shit ton and that whole game is based around conflict. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes not so, uh, easy storylines between both, both factions because there's no clear good guy. And so sometimes there's decisions being made and you still can debate like 
is this the right decision for this faction? You know, but it, it doesn't shy away from like mirroring things that go on and, you know, in the world because not, not the world of Warcraft, but you know, like I think, I think like conflict, if it's explored and not just thrown out there for exploitation, I think there's worth in that, you know? So, yeah, there's a, and again, uh, this is going back to what I was saying about mythic quest, Raven's banquet. Um, there's a really funny episode and I won't give anything away about it, but it, it deals with the fact that they find out that, uh, their number one fans are, or they're the number one game amongst neo-Nazis. Oh no. And how they deal with it. It's a really funny episode. Okay. Um, basically their solution involves them basically finding out who they all are by having a, a, a gathering where people are supposed to support, you know, uh, being not a Nazi basically. And so the ones who don't and are, it's supposed to be like a peaceful protest kind of thing within the video game. Okay. And all the Nazis use this as a, as a, as a, a chance to attack everyone else in the video game. Um, and their solution to how they deal with it is pretty funny. Uh, okay. But uh, it's a, it's a weird thing to have to deal with in 2020. Uh, <laughs> Cause you're like, it's not 1940 anymore. Like what, what, how is this still a thing? But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I had a point there. I don't know where I was going with it, but <laughs> I can't imagine taking away creatively uh, as somebody who well, writes like, and draws and, and like, you know, how would, how would the X-Men exist if you couldn't have exploration of like, of that kind of conflict of like, like the, the nation state of Genosha, like what, like how could you not have, you know what I mean? Like there's, like I, and you could throw a dart at any comic, but it's like that uh, uh, the X-Men exist because there was this, you know, these political out, like not outsiders, but like there was different tensions at the time. And we talked about that when we talked about God loves man kills, like how could you have like, I don't know. It just feels that there's, um, there's a, a certain part of the fan base for Rick and Morty. And I wasn't going to get into this, but like, cause it's much bigger, but there was an episode in the most recent season where Rick ends up in like these different alternate realities for various reasons. Cause it's a cartoon, but everyone he ends up in is like more Nazi than the last. He's like, why is this the default? And, uh, as he goes along, uh, one of the, one of the Nazi Mortys is like, Nope, we're not going to, we're just going to have adventures. We're just going to go have adventures and there's not going to be anything talked about. And it's like, there's this constant, like yelling at the show, people saying you don't, they don't, don't make statements, just have fun. And that was their kind of way of pointing out, like, that's kind of asinine. Like, these are creators making a show. We can have fun, but we're having fun because this is this is the things that we struggle with or we have conflict over. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that's, that's a really meaty, heady conversation that I never feel like I'm well-equipped to have. Yeah, and I mean, on the same token, I think of, when I think of, like, a character who's, who a big piece of that character is their political beliefs is green arrow. And I, I don't think they really do it so much on the show, but the green arrow of the comics, like he calls himself, a you know, uh, a hard leftist. Like he, his whole thing is he, he, his whole ideology is based in that. And, uh, it's been, he's been that point of view character in a lot of stories. Um, I can't imagine like taking that away from the character 
and then having to write stories about him. Because <laughs> it's just always been a piece about him. You have failed the city and your ability to address park commuter violations. Like, what? Like, that's not that's not right. Like, that would be like... You you have failed the city by not updating the web page about it. You know, it's, it'd be yes. not a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So again, this is a bigger topic, and I mean, I'm sure we're going to revisit this again. I just it would just seem like an odd thing to find, just kind of show up out of nowhere, and it doesn't come out of nowhere. This is not in a vacuum, but to see this in like a major presentation in regards to like other game developers. So just, just yeah. a quick question. This is unrelated yeah. in in that it's not really about what he's saying, but. When these types of things happen, do you think he's run like? Do you think they've ever run these things by other people before? They're like, "Hey, I'm going to make this declaration." Do you think that it's just yes men, or that he was like, "This is such a good idea, I'm not going to tell anybody and just throw it out there." Well, maybe, but I also feel like if you're making enough money to challenge God, which I feel like Fortnite is right now, then you you probably get in this bubble of feeling like. You, you know, you are, you're making all the decisions, you're moving the needle. So everything you say, you know, like I, there's probably a certain amount of like, you don't listen to others because you've gotten this far, you know, like, um, like I, and I say that not from, and maybe, maybe, you know, uh, Tim Sweeney is like, he, maybe this was just a, you know, he was trying to get something out and didn't say it right. Maybe he's just like this grounded guy. I don't know. But like I've been telling you and people listening, I've been listening to that podcast behind the bastards, which is like always this exploration behind like, like dictators and other people. These people always like get like a couple of things right in the worst ways possible, but they always take like the wrong lessons from it. And they get to this point to where it's like, they start believing their own bullshit, you know? And it's like, and they don't, they don't vet it. So it makes you, I, I hope this isn't the case with this, but you wonder like, you know, the higher up you go, the less people you're talking to and then the less, the less reality can be spoken to you. I think if that makes sense. So I, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm probably wrong. Maybe, maybe team, team Sweeney, like every day he's out, like, you know, like being homeless and being like the most grounded person and being like, Hey you guys like Fortnite, this is how I'm buying y'all houses. I don't know, you know, but <laughs> you know. yeah, I mean, I guess the only other thing that I could say is, is that, uh, you know, uh, perhaps uh, there have been less uh, sentence, Senate hearings in uh, episode one. It would have been a better movie, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right. Yeah. Like I said, this is going to be an evolving, uh, evolving thing. So just to kill a mockingbird as a game, you know, it's, it's done pretty well. <laughs> I, I would just, it'd just be great if they just like, we're going to rename Fortnite to, uh, to kill a mockingbird. Cause it's, it's no, I, but I'm going to give you a little bit of knowledge here, Steve, before we go on to, the, to talk about uh, my buddy Valentine. So you probably wonder why this big, like 50 person, like shooter, like this killer be killed battle Royale is called Fortnite. Did you ever wonder why the game was named that? You know, honestly, I, I, I know absolutely nothing about Fortnite other than like, for some reason there are toys based on it. So, well, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, I'll give you that. But like, do you like, so the definition of Fortnite is actually a Fortnite is 14 nights or two weeks. 
Uh, so you talk about I'm, we're going to spend a fortnight. Oh, jeez, I didn't even think about it in that context. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. no. So the re, so the original game Fortnite, which was being developed by Epic, um, they was going to be like a base building type of game, which it's still there. If you buy, if you buy Fortnite, there's like the the like the non competitive version of it where you build bases and you basically like the world. This world is set up where like these zombie monster attacks happen, so you team up with people to basically build like these big like you know murder mazes and try to survive these outbreaks and that was the game that was the idea but then there's a game out there that was called player unknown battlegrounds you may have heard that name before or PUBG, probably not i don't you know but that was a battle royale game and then fortnite was like wait we can pretty much make that with our same engine for fortnite and they became the bigger thing so the game actually shifted focus greatly because they saw what another game was doing and they were like we could do that better so the original indication of this game, though there's still base building and stuff in Fortnite, the game itself, like the actual competitive game where you shoot people, like it is, it is not the same monster it was when it was first being developed. So like, I, I just, I find that interesting that like, this is like the industry leader, but all it did was like, look off somebody over shoulder and be like, oh, you're doing that. We can do that better. Like, so take F yeah, what's that's interesting. Yeah, because like, because the name was taken literally you know, from like a, a space of time, and then also you're literally building forts, you know. But you don't think about that because that's what the game's called, you know. So, anyway, neither here nor there. That's your bit of history. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I knew that I wanted to share with everybody. So enough about that. Let's just get on to our Valentine Day uh, extravaganza and talk about 1981's My Bloody Valentine. And now for our feature presentation. All right, 1981's My Bloody Valentine. Um, Steve secretly admitted to me that this is his favorite holiday-based slasher film, which is surprising. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right above Halloween and Friday the 13th. So, <laughs> Well, I like that Friday the 13th is its own holiday now, I guess, because it's just like, oh, this is Friday the 13th. Um, so... Yeah, I, I know. I know Halloween is like your favorite, like you know, one of your favorite slashers, but also holiday adjacent slashers because I mean the name is Halloween, um, and I know this movie exists because of Halloween. Um, but so um, when we talked about like watching this for the show, like what was it about it that wanted, that you wanted to really get into? Well, it's interesting because uh, two reasons. One is is that this is one that. I wasn't really super fond of before this rewatch. Um, I liked it enough, uh, so much so that um, I even saw the remake in theaters, uh, which I think was 2009. It was in 3D. Yeah. Um, and it's actually not a bad remake. I think it's one of the few ones that people who are very anti-remake let slide. because they're like, okay, I guess that's one. That's a good one. It's like that in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I can actually give Zack Snyder credit for something. He did a really good remake. Um, but I feel like those are the two that are sort of revered when it comes to remakes, at least of horror films. Um, but I knew that Scream Factory was going to be putting out this special edition and I like the movie well enough that I'm like, oh, I'm really kind of curious to see what's going to be on that. And then when we decided to do the episode, it was like, well, that's just one good reason for me to give my money to Scream Factory, which honestly, I feel like I plug Scream Factory an awful lot on this show. If, if we can just get our numbers up enough that I can get them to start sending me free stuff, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'd be all about that because they put out some good stuff. So, um, so yeah, this, this was recently just released, you said, by Scream Factory. It's a, it's, um, there's a lot of special features, but there's something 
uh, really important that they put out that is like from my reading has been kind of a rarity in regards to this film. Yeah. They were able to dig up a lot of the cut special effects. Um, the film, when it came out in 1981 had been, I would say chopped considerably. And when I say that, I realize now that the things that were cut out of this film, people wouldn't blink an eye on these days. I think you probably see worse on the walking dead. Um, and I've never been one who has been of the mind that gore always equals a better film. Uh, but I will say in this case, I think of John Carl Beekler, who was the director of Friday the 13th part seven, who had a very similar fate with his film saying like, you know, gore and special effects in these types of movies are sort of like setting up a, a joke and taking out the punchline. And I, I feel like very much that is, what happened to my bloody Valentine. I don't know that it makes it a better movie, but now seeing what they had planned and what they did do with a lot of these special effects and gore scenes, I, I I really like seeing it with that because I think it, it, I wouldn't say that like, Oh, it makes it that much better of a movie, but I can see what the original intent was. Cause I, I, I think my initial thoughts on the film, at least when it came to, their death scenes was they were a little weak sauce um, and seeing now the original effects restored and they, they, I will say as well, they're not all because I, 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 I think they're taken from a work print, but the, some of the, the inserts that were put back in the film, you know, do have some grain. They do have some, some scratch marks to them, uh, but they do make a lot of the scenes work better. And we can get into that as we talk about the film. Yeah, because the, um, the version I saw, like I ended up, it was like three bucks to rent on like Amazon or like six bucks to buy. So I just bought a digital version of it, but it's the theatrical cut. So I yeah, didn't the, see the, all the bits and pieces. No pun intended. <laughs> and I mean, again, you know, the movie is very engaging with its characters. I think it's actually for a slasher at its time. I think the characters have far better um, characterizations and are more well thought out as is the terrain in which they're going to go into for most of the movie. Um, but seeing it now with the restored special effects, I'm like, Oh yeah, that works a lot better. And it, it, some of it even makes a little bit more sense because when we get to the end of the film, uh, there's a, a piece with the main characters escape. I shouldn't say the main character, but the, um, the killer. I was going to say, yeah, the killer. Yeah. yeah. I, I was looking for, you know, a better word, like antagonist for some reason, well, but, like, uh, but the like, killer. <laughs> yeah. It's not. So here I'm going to throw, throw a spoiler alert out right now. Cause um, just, just because again, if you guys have any inkling of watching this film, if this is kind of your jam or if you're like always kind of like you like horror, but you just never know where to dip your toes. This is a pretty one, the pretty, pretty easy one to watch, but I'm going to throw a spoiler alert out. Do you know why they are called spoilers? <laughs> Because this is one that like there's a lot of fun to be had just not knowing where it's going because this does go a couple places that what you would think of slashers for this time would fall into. They they kind of sidestep some of it, but then other ones they fall headfirst into. So we'll yeah we'll talk about that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a yeah. whodunit all the way through. So kind of it so is. Can- it is. I just don't know. Maybe the edited footage helps it. It just it because it, I was thinking about it. I'm like, does this all kind of does it all kind of make sense? It maybe it does. It just never felt, it never felt very whodunit the entire time to me, um, and that's that's me. That's my take. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. 
No, you're not wrong. I mean, and this is my problem with whodunits, other than the fact that, like, Friday the 13th, Jason's mom, who turns out to be the killer, isn't introduced until the last, like, I don't know, 20 minutes of the film. Um, this movie is a whodunit, but then they... You, once you realize who that the killer is, you're trying to piece together, like, okay, I don't know that he would have been in all those places at that time. Yeah. Specifically since we cut back to him in other places at different time at the same time. So that part of the structure I don't think helps up holds up as well. Um, but when I was saying the gore helping it, I think his final escape, the last, I don't know, minute of the movie, um, it's it was always unclear to me, like, wait, what just happened? And there's a little bit of added to that that I think makes it work a little better. Yeah. Cause even reading about like the end of the film, I didn't realize what had happened had happened. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess we'll just like, if people are still listening and not watched the movie, let's set the stage to Steve. What's, what is the premise of my buddy Valentine, as opposed to being a band that people have heard of. <laughs> so my, my bloody Valentine starts off, uh, with, a a killing that happens and you know i honestly i'm still to this day i'm i'm not certain as to whether or not the kill that is the very beginning of the film if that is harry warden in 1961 because it's supposed to be 20 years before or if it's the first killing that starts off this movie but on valentine's day in 1961 a miner by the name of harry warden uh, basically, well, I guess, I guess it's, it's 21 years prior that he gets locked in a mine shaft with, I think five other miners. Yeah. Cause the whole town of Valentine bluffs, which it should be Valentine's bluff, but whatever, that's just, that feels more appropriate, like to say out loud, but whatever. Um, their big thing is that for a hundred years, they would have a Valentine's day dance, right? And because this town had a population of seven, this was the thing to look forward to every year. Um, and then, so like some of the, the people that were charged with the mine were like, let's just get out of here. We got to go up to the, the, you know, to the party and talk to, you know, probably our, our sisters and cousins and whatever that, sorry, this is also in Northern Canada. So I don't know what the population mix was there. Probably a lot of relatives. That's just my take as well. But they leave they leave people down below, and there's an accident, and there's an explosion in a cave-in, and they can't hear what's going on, and the party goes on. And, and Harry Warden is the last one alive, and they found him eating the other miners, and that was it. Like, he was the one driven crazy after weeks of being stuck below in this bombed-out mine shaft because of an explosion. He was left to, like, they, they just couldn't get to him in time. And then say, in the yeah, year, he a year later, yeah. he uh, he dons his miner's gear and goes on a killing spree. Yeah. And so then the whole thing is he warns people, like, never have a Valentine's Day again in this place specifically called Valentine Bluffs, and that, or I'll come back, or I will walk the streets each year and, you know, break all the hearts, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, I've said before on the show previously that, you know, Brevity is not a friend of mine, and I sometimes over-explain things and say things uh, in ways that are overly complicated. So I'm just going to read the IMD, IMDb description of the film. It okay. says a decades-old folktale surrounding a deranged murderer killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day turns out to be true to legend when a group defies the killer's orders and people start turning up dead. I don't know that that's much better than what we just said, but... Yeah, that's sort of the gist of the film. So like 
with this being like this town, like, so the notion of like, like and th- it's very much, so the, let me just take a step back. Halloween came out and made a shit ton of money. It was one of the most uh, profitable independent films of all time. I think it was the most profitable until Blair Witch came out. Um, and it was and for being an R-rated horror film too. Like, you know, it, it's it's made its money however many fold. So there was a market. And then Friday the 13th, which you mentioned, had come out after. So there was a market for, uh, and they, I think they also mentioned, what was it, uh, Terror Train and Prom Night, I think also came out before this. Um, yeah. So there was a market for these like, you know, slashers, like, like person, you know, you're not sure pick off one by one, you know, teenagers partying. And so these guys came up with this idea. It's like, we need to come up with something that's holiday specific because that seems to be the thing. And to, to credit to these guys, they're not wrong. Like they saw the trend coming and got out in front of it. Um, so they had this idea, uh, you know, for this thing set around Valentine's day and they didn't want to release the name. That's why they call it the secret to begin with. And so, this became a thing of like, well, we got to have a killer on a holiday. And I think they go this long way around to set up why Valentine's day is the day that the killer shows up. And as ridiculous as the premise of everything is, I kind of love that world building. Yeah. I think that, uh, when it comes to doing this type of story, I think whether it's, you know, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, which takes place on Christmas or your um, Christmas Evils or uh, was it New York New Year's Evil? Yes. Am I, am I yeah. mixing them up? Nope. You got them. They're, okay. they're two separate movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your April Fool's Day. Um, God, I feel like I'm missing some. Uh, I know I am. But it became Labor this thing Day. after Halloween where everything oh. had to be based on a, on a holiday. Yeah. And of that subset of films, I think just looking at this film now, um, and I could say this again, having just rewatched it twice in the last weekend, I, I kind of really fall in love with this movie. I think it's a gem that I sort of pushed off to the side uh, for the flashy remake. And I, I realize now that I'm like, wow, this is actually a really well-constructed film. And your world building that you're talking about, it can be a little hokey at times, but at the same time, it, I think it works. I think it actually works better than Friday the 13th. But uh, it, it, it's, not it, its reveal. Don't get me wrong. That's not fair. its reveal, yeah. but in its world building and the way it conveys what's happening. So with, but with the whole notion of the town that will not do the thing that it, it, it whispers in hushed tones until the next generation comes up and doesn't believe it. That feels very much from the playbook of Halloween where like after that happened at Haddonfield, like Halloween wasn't celebrated, you know, or I should say was it was celebrated in the first film, but after a while, the sequels, it just kind of was outlawed. If I remember right, it's like, don't do stuff on Halloween because shit goes wrong. I yeah, feel, I think yeah. by part six, that's where they were. Part yeah. six. Okay, well, I'm I'm just a few I'm a few uh, movies early saying that, but there's the <laughs> there's that trope of like, oh, we don't all celebrate you know Valentine's Day, and it's like, well, okay, then if this was such a big thing and people want to forget about it, then I feel like they could have taken a page out of the Friday Thirteen sequels and been like, we don't call this place Valentine Bluffs anymore, you know, like we call it, you know, I don't know, perfectly okay town. Canada, you know, whatever, um, Saskatchewan, I don't know, but which I um, think is all, uh, uh, all towns in, in, uh, Canada should be called just perfectly. Okay. Just like, perfectly. Okay. Town. I've, I've so, never sorry met about Canadian that town. An asshole, so. yeah. uh, this, this is the Canadian town, Canadian town of Moosehead. That's what they could, they could have called the town Moosehead for as much, 
uh, propaganda of Moosehead you saw all over the town. So, so a yeah. bit of uh, a bit of trivia about that. Uh, the director George Mahalka talks about that on the commentary. Essentially, what he says is is that uh, they went to Moosehead and was like, "Hey, you know, we need Moosehead beer for." I think I think the crew back then also got like beer and stuff like that, like after <laughs> rap and stuff like that. I like it. It was very weird, but they basically were like, Hey, if you give us this stuff, it's basically a free commercial for your beer. So they gave them like the beer signs, they gave them beer. And they do talk about later in the film when they're at the mine, having the party, a couple of other beers show up and the director's like, well, that's cause I didn't want it to feel like it was a giant commercial for Moosehead, But like, Predominantly throughout the film, it's all Moosehead, but that was by design because they needed beer, I believe, for the crew, which I think is interesting. <laughs> I, I think it's great because there's the whole bit like where they're at the one bar in town called The Cage, which this is me being an idiot. The first time I'm like, well, that's a weird name for a bar, and then realizing, oh, it's a mining town. That's that's why it's called that. Um, and there's that huge neon like moosehead sign behind like, you know, the spooky bartender telling the story about, you know, what happened. It's, it's a cool looking image. Like, like you can't go wrong with a darkened bar with a large neon sign in the background. Like you can't, you know? And, um, I just, it was just, it's so obvious, but it's just, it's just a fun kind of obvious. It's like, it's like, if you couldn't tell us it was Canada, you do now. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I noticed uh, in the, that later scene, I think the other two bears that show up are Budweiser and Schlitz. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I will say also, like, the, there's you have the oddly specific idea of a killer on a holiday. What you don't always see is you do see these small town slasher films, right? Like, that was the whole thing with Halloween is that, you know, like the terror comes home. I don't know if I've seen a film that look this rusty and beat up just from a, like a home standpoint, but in the sense of like, you get films like, you know, movies where people are wanting to get out of town and go someplace else with the exception of one character, everyone there is like, this is, this is where we live. This is where we're at. And you just see them driving by like these, just, just, you know, this town has seen better days and I, it's not painted in a, in a negative way. It's just, this is like Rust Belt Canada. And I, it's weird to see a film with that being so in your face without being like, like, um, the characters all pushing back against that. Yeah. Another point that the director made in the commentary was that even the way people looked in their clothes, like a lot of the wardrobe was picked from thrift stores to give it a look of just blue collar guys working as opposed to, you know, when you see movies, people are always in clean shirts. They're always, you know, dressed to the nines. They always look great. And he wanted to make it a point of like, no, these are guys who work in mines. They work hard. You know, they're not going to be wearing like fancy clothes. They're not going to be wearing nice jeans. They're going to be wearing, you know, uh, clothes of the everyday, if you will. The the clothes that the, the rest of the world wears when they're not being, you know, uh, being filmed in, 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 in a movie, you know, um, yeah, that's a roundabout way of saying like looking like normal people. Well, um, so I went to college in a, a mining uh, county in Pennsylvania, south of Pittsburgh, and there, like, if you were like 
at my college, if you looked across the way, across the valley, however, against the, the mountain, like the ridgeline at nighttime, you'd see the strip mining facility across the way. So you'd see like the familiar slope with the lights, right, of the strip mine. And I remember one of my first nights on campus, there was a family dropping off another student, and you could tell they they weren't from that side of Pennsylvania, like they were from like Philadelphia or New Jersey. And they looked off in the distance. They're like, "Oh, honey, look! It's a ski lift." And it's like that's not a ski lift. Like, so I get, <laughs> like, I get this kind of like this this just rusted out. Like, and I grew up in a small town that the railroad had left in the '90s. Like, this felt like, the, with the exception of that, there's no hills. This could have been where I grew up, you know. And like, I got and it, it. It again, it wasn't played for, it wasn't played for pity or for laughs. It just was. And I I, I kind of liked that. It was like, here it is. Here's the story we're telling. And I, I dug that. Yeah, and I think that that actually adds to the film. I think that not only the fact that they, you know, found a mine uh, that was basically not in use anymore. And there's a funny story that they tell uh, on both the commentary and a couple of interviews where they decided to film in this town because there was a, a vacant mine that they could use. And the town was so happy that they were coming to film there that they cleaned up the mine and then they got there like, wait, what did you guys do? Like we wanted this crappy looking mine and you made it nice. So they had to go in with their production team and basically make it crappy. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, which I think is really funny. And we bought all new clothes for everybody too. It's like, no, that's not what you need to do. Um, and we got rid of all the moose head imagery. Stop it. You're making it worse. You know. Um, no, but I think yeah. it, it, the, the, the atmosphere, the, um, location, like I think all of it adds to the film and, uh, and maybe it's because this is the first time me watching it where it w- was high quality. Cause I think in the past where I've seen it, it's, it's been kind of lower quality, uh, probably even less than like DVD quality. Um, seeing like the amount of detail that they did put into it. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was fascinating is, is the showers that the miners would use weren't really shower heads. They were like just kinked pipes that water ran out of, you know? Yeah. Um, and you, you can really see that in detail in this. And uh, the actors all tell this story about the fact that the scene at the beginning of the film where they're all showering after getting out of the mine, uh, they had no hot water. So it's literally uh, fog machines and cold water. Mm. And they're all having to act like they're in like, you know, a hot, steamy shower. Um, but yeah, I think all of that stuff, all of that set dressing, all of the, atm- the, I keep saying atmosphere, but the, the, the locations, things like that really add to the film. Yeah. I, no, I didn't know that. That's, that's, ter- that's the worst part of the movie for me now is like the idea of cold shower around a bunch of other dudes and like trying to pretend like you're having a good time. Yeah. yeah. I know. Nope, can't do that. I'm done. I'm out. I'd be like, can I just please act like I'm getting a pickaxe in the chest right now? I'm, I'm out of this film. That's fine. And I think also, this is another plus for me, Um, I think when you have this type of film, whether it's Friday the 13th or Halloween or Scream is a good one, um, where you have these characters who, excuse me, who are supposed to be best friends, they, these guys all feel like they've known each other an entire lifetime. They all feel like they, they are from this small town. Like the cast really works well together. I feel like that's important because we've all seen the horror movie where these people are supposed to be friends. They don't really feel like they're friends. Like they feel like actors. I feel like these guys all feel 
it, and their girlfriends included, actually, which sounds shitty me to say that <laughs> because we get to them in a little bit. But like all the characters in the film feel like they've known each other a lifetime and they work really well as a group dynamic. And, and, and even if they all don't get along together, there's still that notion of like, well, we're all kind of not family, but this is a community. Like even the bit in like, I don't know, I want to say it's a junkyard, but it could, it could just be a parking lot where all the cars are stacked. I don't know. It's Canada. Um, and, I think and it's a junkyard. I, I know it's a junkyard. <laughs> um, but like um, they're, they're making like uh, food on top of like the engine block, which I thought was funny. It's just like, sure. You know, I just want to, I just want to say, Thank Christ that we live when we do, because I don't know what I would have done without the internet. And if that means sitting in a junkyard in the middle of the night, cooking food off of an engine top, I probably would have been doing that. You know, it just seems like guys go, go do something else. Nope. You're going to eat food off of an engine block. Good. I guess whatever. Um, but even whenever you had the, the main, you know, the two, the two love interests, like, there was a bit there where the ones trying to get through the car to get into the inner circle and you could tell that they're still kind of gruff, but there was this like still kind of like talking to each other for a little bit. It's like the, one of them wanted to escalate. The other one was just kind of like, just wanting to like kind of leave it be for right now. And you don't always see that in those kind of films. Yeah. I mean, there's a love triangle, but at the same time, it's not your typical love triangle. It's, it's, it's not the girl who's torn. I mean, yeah, she's torn between the two guys, but she's faced with a more real life dilemma of like, he left and now he's back. And, and I guess I'm just describing a, a normal love triangle. Well, no, film. no. He left without talking to her. Cause he like, you, you get the feeling he tried going out West to do something. We don't know if it was act or go to, I don't know, something, um, you know, go to one of those big mining schools in like, you know, Regina or something or whatever. We don't know. Um, uh, he went to Saskatoon and couldn't make it work and came back to town. Um, and he went to medicine hat. I'll keep naming Canadian cities till it's funnier and funnier. Um, and he comes back and, but he didn't really talk to her in the meantime. So she's left her, like she's left her own devices. The guy she loved and left without explanation. And then she found another dude. And now that guy's back being like, well, why can't we work it out? It's like, no, you left her high and dry, but she did care about you. So she's conflicted because there was something there. She doesn't exactly have it with the other guy, but there's also that sense of like, I need to move on from this. And I think that's a little bit more nuanced than some of the stuff that we do see in a slasher film. Yeah. She's also makes a point of being like, you know what? I don't know that I want either of you, <laughs> which I think a lot of times doesn't pop up in these types of films. So I, I thought that uh, her reaction was genuine. And I thought that I never felt like the, the love triangle part of it was forced, I guess is the best way of putting it. That's fair. I do feel like some of the women are marginalized though, in weird ways. Like, like the bit where it was the one girl was making the comment about like the dress she was going to wear was like, it's open at the top. It's lit on the side. She's like, I'll be surprised if I get out of there alive. It's like, is that a good thing? I don't know. Like, it's just, okay. I guess we're going on with that. You know, it's just <laughs> some weird commentary that happens. But again, I understand it's 81, and it's just, you're, I don't know. It's just watching it now. You're like, I don't know if that's the right approach to a dance, but Hey, good luck. I can't disagree with you on that, but I will say that, um, one of the odd things about this film is it, that does feel out of place for it for its time is, is that there's no nudity in the movie, like, which is very surprising. Like, that's true. If this was in the hands of, you know, uh, Steve minor or Sean Cunningham, um, 
you know, and I, I should throw that at their feet just because they're the directors of the, the first three Friday the 13th. But nudity was a staple of that time. And it's, it's interesting to me that uh, one of the things that this film, you know, which had literally no nudity in it. Well, it did. It was, had it plastered all over the walls of the bar. Did you notice all okay. the all the girly yeah, mags? It's like, but like, like, wasn't that weird though? It's like this is a place of business that women are all hanging around. You know, like what? You know, like all those reginas okay. on the wall. That was weird. I don't know how I felt about that, but whatever. Compare it to the burning. Well, yeah, fair enough. You know, like I, I'm not, you, you you win. Um, I will like that's uh, if if that's the one thing that film has that this film does not have. Fine, it can have that. Uh, I'll t- I'll take this film all day long. Um, yeah, I think the closest we got to nudity was the very beginning, uh, that first kill, yeah. which I, you tell me, it, I don't know if they added anything to that with that first kill of the girl being pushed against the pickaxe. Um, I kind of hope they didn't because of what was shown was so quick and it was so unnerving of just seeing like the pickaxe come through, but not penetrate the front of like her skin. Ugh, that was even worse yeah. than showing it actually pierce. Yeah, I we do actually see it uh, come out of her chest. Oh. So that is one of the additions. Um, we see basically the scene that you're describing where you can si- kind of see like it hasn't perforated the skin. Yeah. And the skin almost looks rubbery because the, the pickaxe is trying to come through it is where they cut it. But then it, it comes through oh, and I feel we like do see that. Th- in that case, I feel like less is more. And that I think that because it's just because your your brain makes up so much worse stuff in that case. I know the shower scene later uh, with what young girl. I'm sure that was edited because just all you saw was the reaction of the of the ginger dude uh, looking at her. I'm sure they showed more of that because um, that didn't feel complete. But again, his reaction was enough to sell what was going on. So I'll, I'll go through yeah. a few of them. I don't I don't want to go through all of them, but I mean. The things that were added, um, the big ones for me were, um, yes, the opening, which I, I can't disagree with you. I don't know that it's it's less. I don't know that it's better that we, we saw less, um, but I think for your opening kill, you kind of got to go splashy. Um, but I, I'm also of the mind that less is more yeah, in a lot of ways. Was, so. was there more fondling of the hose on the, the mask of the guy as like, <laughs> that was <laughs> like, no. that sexy, like, yo, it's not, a, it's a mining mask. I mean, so I guess in a way it is a gas mask, but it's like, she's like playing with the hose. I'm like, I don't know who this is for. You know, like it was, it was if weird. There's an, an additional 10 seconds to that scene <laughs> that might be saying <laughs> a lot. Like, I, I don't think it's a huge change. I, I think that, and actually a lot of the changes, they're probably cutting out maybe 10 seconds at a time. Like, I feel like this isn't, you know, again, I think of where we are and what our comfortability is now with gore. This wouldn't make it like we see worse stuff on the walking dead. (laughs) But this came out like this was, uh, it was right after um, the, the assassination of John Lennon. Like that was bad. And, and there was this whole big blowback about violence in movies then. And you could understand why, like, um, but yeah, I mean, but you also remember like right after nine 11, like there was a lot of stuff that got cut out of films around that time too, because just the, the, just what was going on in the world. It's like, not right now, you know, like I can see why yeah. it happened, you know? Um, 
you know, the, the bits that were added in, the laundromat kill, and it's actually not even the kill itself. It's uh, when the sheriff comes in and finds the, I think she's the town. I'm not entirely sure what her job is. I feel like she's the town. She she owns the laundromat because it's her name. She owns the laundromat, but I feel like she's also does something for the town. She's like, like the facilitating of like the, like, I don't know. She was helping with the dance and everything. Like she, I liked her. I liked that actress. She was actually, she did portray like this nice, like this nice sweetness to her. Like I liked her performance in this. Yeah. When, when he find discovers her body, she's been folded up and placed in a dryer and her body's been badly burned at this point. Um, there's probably an additional five to 10 seconds of the body just tumbling around in the dryer after the door opens. Ugh. And he's trying to shut it off. Um, it's Ugh. it's pretty gross. I don't know that that adds anything to it. And there, it, it is one of those things where I feel like letting it linger too long makes you go, "Oh, it's fake." <laughs> well, so that scene in particular. Let me let me back that up a second. So he walks in the laundromat, um, and you see him smell the air because something isn't right. And he walks by the row of the dryers, and if you're paying attention, you clearly see one covered in gore spinning as he walks by it. And I yeah. think that is way more unnerving because it's right there beside him, like a good like, um, like forty seconds before he comes back to it, and that is way more creepy to me now. Like just the older I get, like those more mundane, just like like um like just the panning shots, like when you're just mm-hmm. like the slow pan, that will mess me up more than to show me like a, like a body parts and a dryer, you know. And that was it, ugh, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, I think the one that, one of the major ones that's improved kill wise is the old man who runs the bar. (laughs) I guess he's the bar owner. And I will say this, it made me appreciate. So going back to Friday the 13th, one of my favorite things about Friday the 13th is Carl. Who's the, the crazy guy who pops up and is, you know, telling everybody that, you know, it's got a death curse. You know, he, he, he pops up in the first one and he's killed in the second Friday the 13th. Um, he's like one of my favorite all time Friday the 13th characters and forgetting that there's kind of a crazy guy around the bar, like telling the kids like, Oh, you be where you, you be, you know, <sighs> Harry Warden's coming for you. You know, that kind of thing. I realized like, I need to throw that into the Saturday Night slasher. A. I need to have like a crazy person who's just you know spewing nonsense but um i i really liked him but when we do get to his demise that that kill is actually cut quite a bit um and in the film his character has rigged up a harry warden mannequin i don't know how to describe it but it's a it's it looks like it's an actual minor like like full-on and he's rigged a pickaxe that when you open the door and part of the like the mine like the above part of the mine the axe will kind of swing up like as in like towards you but not like with its point at you like it will just show you here's the axe and it's supposed to scare the the kids because no one believe him because he's also he's really cracking himself up over like setting this trap up it's like He's also yeah. supposedly the guy that found Harry Warden eating bodies at the bottom of the mine. I don't know <laughs> if you find the humor in your heart to make a joke about that. Yeah, I mean, he sets up essentially the same sort of device that Ferris Bueller sets up yeah. uh, in his bed to, to make his parents think that he's sleeping. Yeah, you just need a tape recorder to be like, uh, like. <laughs> uh, but 
his his kill. Um, what I I like about it is is that uh, when the pickaxe comes up, you don't really see what happens with it in the theatrical cut. In this, it actually goes up through his jaw and comes out his eye. See, I, that would have been better served for that because, like, it was pretty sudden. Well, all, like, I, it, you know, you know the setup coming because he checks the door like four times with the dummy, yeah. and then <laughs> and then it opens again. and It's the dude with the axe, and it's like, how did he get all that out of the way real quickly? You know, like that felt weird to me. But yeah, that could have been better served with something else going on. Um, but I will say. Wouldn't you have preferred if that was uh, that character would have been played by Dick Miller? Like, I think Dick Miller would have been amazing in that role of being the guy yelling at the kids and then go on to go set up that. Knowing how much uh, Dick Miller touched everything that I loved growing up, anything adding Dick Miller would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> like, I also would like, um, oh, what was the name of the dude? The main, the main, um, the the main love interest guy not uh not Axel um was it was it Howard was he not Howard no Howard was the class clown okay um, yeah he I was the it idiot was TJ TJ like okay so the actor's name is Paul Kelman I I want to see this is maybe me getting a little too rushed ahead I want to see a shot for shot remake of this film with Bill Hader playing that role <laughs> that's that's not entirely fair. I'll I'll admit that uh, I I would watch that movie absolutely. How great would that be? Like like oh like it's all it's the exact same film, but there's just a little nudge. Like how great would that be? Like just I just because they look they look very similar to each other. And I yeah just, yeah. Uh, and I, well, I also think it's Bill interesting Hader. that 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 character decided that actor and it's mentioned in the commentary as well that he uh, decided the neckerchief that he wears throughout the entire movie that was a. A choice by the actor. <laughs> what about the Pittsburgh Steelers shirt that he wore? I was like, I, why is that up there? Why is that in Canada? That no, weird. but I, I want the uh, I want to get the hat now that uh, Hollis is wearing, which I think uh, says "Kiss My," and then it's a picture of a donkey. <laughs> Horror conventions, you're missing out on merch oh. that you don't have to really uh, pay royalties on. Just make that hat. And I would I would buy a Henniger mine like staff shirt or something like in a heartbeat. That would be oh cool. absolutely yeah. Uh, so you're talking about Hollis. That's Keith Knight. Um, as I now think of him as uh, a, a, a thinner uh, Haley Joe Allsmet. Um, like, oh. A- <laughs> 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 oh, if I'm doing a remake, that's who I'm playing. Have him play that character. And he'd be amazing at it. But I, you have a point about him. And I, your, your point you mentioned before we started recording is valid. It's just that I also feel like they told this guy, like, just just chew the scenery. Like, he was all over the place in this movie. Really? Because I, I felt that he was fairly, like, nuanced. That's interesting. Uh, well, him and the other I guy, guess- uh, not, not Axel, uh, Howard. Howard was an idiot. Like, I'm like, stop <laughs> sniffing, like, soda. You're just, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, Howard is the class clown of the film. He's the one who's always making jokes, but... Hollis is, uh, he's, he's sort of, it may be unfair to call him the leader of the group, but he's the one who sort of seems to have the most respect out of everybody. Um, And what's interesting is, is that he's a, he's a heavier character. Uh, I I don't know that I'd call him fat uh, because it's just weird to say it like that, but like he's, he's a heavier character. And in a movie of this type, 
at that time, he'd have been the butt of the jokes. Oh, I mean, for sure. And even if he did a remake now, he'd be like, he'd be one of the first people to go. I get it, you know. And I, I but, and like, I like that. It's like, you know, he had a girlfriend and he was the one always wanted to do stuff. So it's like, they didn't, they didn't paint him as like a butt of a joke. You're right. And I didn't think about that while watching it, but the film does a good job of like never doing that. Um, yeah, the director points out that he's like, I thought it would be interesting for him to, to be the one who's sort of, whether he's the leader or the not, he, he's sort of the one who seems to bring a lot of the, the guys together. Like he has a conversation with TJ after him and Axel have a discussion about, yeah. uh, Patty, I think is her name. Um, and he's also the one who sort of leads the group a lot of times, I think in discussions and, in discussions I make it sound like it's a book club but like when they're in the bar I feel like they all kind of turn to him when they're having conversations yeah I know it's just I feel like like the scene I mentioned where they're eating the food off the engine block I feel like they just let him kind of just talk and it's like that's fine because you get like that natural like like the people just being people right but there's times yeah. where I feel like it's like all the cameras on me I gotta say something funny like I feel like there was a lot of him trying to steal the scene and a lot of it and again that might just be his personality type in terms of the character, but, and I'm not saying it's a negative. It's just something that seemed very apparent to me, like as we're watching it. Yeah. See, I felt like particularly the scene after they have Axel and TJ have a fight where he walks over to TJ and is just like, you know, TJ, he's, I don't even know how he puts it. It's, it's sort of like, I, you know, you left to get cut in some flat kind of thing, I think is, is basically what the argument is, but, I felt that he was, uh, admittedly, he is the one who, when they later decide to go into the mines, uh, makes the stupid decision to do it. But uh, I don't know, I guess because of the fact that uh, the director kind of points it out in the film that it stuck, it struck me and I'm like, wow, he's right. Like, this would be the guy who would be being made fun, the, the butt of the joke in other slasher films. And it's kind of refreshing that he isn't, he's, he's just one of the guys. And if not the guy, he's one of the guys that they seem to respect. Yeah. I mean, there, there's the whole thing too. You get this notion of like, these guys are all minors. They're down in the dark, like hours on end. And if someone's pulling their weight, no pun intended, you don't give them shit. And I feel right. like he does his job. Right. So like, there's that notion of like, they're all in this together. They're doing hard work that can, you know, cause like if you're not paying attention bad shit can happen and it's like so i'm gonna bet there's a certain amount of like this guy puts his time in he doesn't bitch about it you know doesn't matter what it looks like he's our friend and we've grown up with him i get that notion there is that kind of there's that kind of respect amongst the workers and like that's another thing too it's like with the exception of the new guy which i think is um the idiot guy um like they keep calling him a newbie or whatever um you you, you get the feeling these guys are all competent at their work and that's the other thing too. Like when they get down the mines, like when they talk about how to go through the different like subsections, like they know their shit. Like there's not that panic. It's like they know this mine, and that's also kind of refreshing because you can easily have a group of people down there and just have a freak out where there's running down like darkened you know shafts and not have any idea where things are. The movie, be watching it, I may not understand the geography of the mine, but the characters do, and that's reassuring. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, to kind of go on the last part of, of what I was saying, and again, you know, we all love the character 
of Shelley in part three, but he's also kind of annoying. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, part three of Friday the 13th. But that's kind of what we were used to. Like, oh, he's the guy who's kind of overweight and girls don't like him and whatever. And like, you know, Hollis is just not that guy. And I, I yeah. it was refreshing um, to see that. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I can't tell if it's if it's Skype or me, but uh, I, I, I like that. Um, I think actually <laughs> like all I'm, of the I'm hearing this weird thing in Skype where, you know, I agree. Like you're like, I'm defending this guy and Skype's telling me I'm wrong. That's not that's not the case. <laughs> Well, no, it's not so much that as are, it is. Are you again, are you my, standing up and walking around pacing angrily right now? You're talking about this. <laughs> well, what do you know? The fat guy likes the fat guy. Yeah. What is and the I keep pride? hearing this like He's thunking noise in the background. It's you just like chucking a pickaxe against your wall and be like, I don't like this, Paul. <laughs> You're like, Paul, the 14th's two days away. Just beware, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, <laughs> uh, the character of Howard too, like you know he's kind of the one who's the buffoon throughout the story. So I, I thought that was an interesting twist. He's the Shelley of this movie, if you will. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, they keep, like people like him, but he just, he, he doesn't always read the room. Well, <laughs> um, but I, so I, I wanted to mention before, before I forgot, uh, we didn't even, we haven't even talked about like the, the cop and, and the, the mayor that no things are going wrong, but they want to hide the human hearts from people as as much as possible. Um, uh, yeah, it is. It is sort of an odd choice for them to be like. We uh, should really talk about taking this dance off the table. I don't know. Maybe we should take this dance maybe, off the table. Maybe when we get the three hearts, then we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> also, again, for, uh, I want to mention because as we talk about the age of the people in this, like they are younger, but they're not playing teenagers. I think there's a difference there. Like these yeah. guys are adults; they're grown ups, and like they're in their early twenties, but they're working hard. This isn't the the same thing as like a bunch of high schoolers at like you know, like a summer camp or college students. Like they're college age, but they're they're employed, and I think that gives this film a little different feeling to it than if it was just like a bunch of dumb teenagers. Yeah, I agree completely. I I, I think I had mentally made a note of that the first time that I watched it, or when I rewatched it this weekend was like, you know, it is interesting to see that like these characters are clearly in their twenties and nobody is, is de-aged or cause we've seen that movie where like there's a teenager. You're like, that kid's not a teenager. <laughs> That's a 20 year, 28 year old man. Like, so it is interesting that they're in blue collar jobs. They're not teenagers. They're, you know, you kind of feel like they've settled into this life very early in on you know where they would be in like our 20s like i'm definitely not the person i was when i was in my 20s but um i feel like i mean look at the look at the first screen film it's a big jump did you did you buy any of the main cast as actually being high school age in that first screen film like you look at like you know it's like you get the setup and it's like it's all fine but none of them looked like young enough to be in high school i don't i don't think um they all look like they're college age, but they're all playing like high school juniors and seniors. And that's fine. Like and it, you just kind of have to, 
kind of have to roll with that a little bit, but at least this with like setting up like, oh no, these are professionals. They're, they're mine workers. They, they work hard and they party hard and it's a small town. So what are you going to do? You're going to work hard. You're going to go to the weird nudie bar. That's by nudie. I mean, nudie stuff all over the bar. You're going to drink Moosehead and then you're going to eat shit off of an engine block. And that's going to be your day. You know, like that's, yeah. They, um, um, like it's like, there's that notion of like, this is a dead end town. It's like, sure. But the, they're, they're still not, at the, they're, it's, with it being 81, there's still not that notion of like, maybe we're the last, like that starts creeping in later into the decade in the nineties. Like this is just blue collar and this is what we do. And there's something respectable about that. That's all I wanted to point out is that you don't get, like I mentioned it earlier, you don't get that, like that footloose sense of desperation. Like it's, they're working and they happen to be a mine and there's a dude killing people. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with that totally. Um, I think, I think that, uh, again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how the cast works together. I, I feel like they feel like a cohesive group and they yeah. feel like they've all known each other forever. So I also want to, I want to mention the unspoken story that's running through this movie. And maybe this is extended with the version that you saw the wild dog population that's running through the town that seems to be all over the place. Um, did you notice at the beginning, the bit, whatever, um, the, the, there's the sheriff and the mayor and the mayor's opening the box. He's like, Oh, it's really nice. And they got a box of candy. It's like, couldn't, wouldn't you tell by the smell or something seeping out of the box that there's a goddamn heart in it. But I also like that he goes to hand it to the, the sheriff first with there's paper on top. It's like, you didn't know whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> he looks in the box as the first heart, which I think we we're talking about timeframes of kills. I think that's the heart from the girl at the beginning of the film, because, I don't know who starts this chain off. Like, I feel like it has to be her. I, that's my only yeah. thought. Um, but then as they make this cut, this Yui, there's this dog that just, just shoots out of the, like right in the frame and starts chasing the vehicle. I don't know if you remember that dog. Just like, it, it looks like, I don't think that was planned. I don't think they planned on a dog just running into frame and chasing that car down. And then later on, there's a like there's three dogs and one of them has a collar on, but they're outside the police station, like, you know, lapping up the blood off of another heart. It's like, what is going on with the dog population in this town? That's that's the real question. That also seems scary to me. So yeah, two things. One is that uh that dog was not planned to run out <laughs> into the road. <laughs> Uh, they do mention that in the commentary. Well, I don't was about to get hit. Yeah, it was what scary. he says, yeah. but like he's like, yeah, that dog sort of just ran out of nowhere, and uh, I feel like he mentioned something about there being trained dogs, but either that was a trained dog that went crazy on the set, or <laughs> was a dog that wasn't anticipated to be there. Like, uh, but I I remember specifically him mentioning it, but it wasn't a moment that I like took a note down <laughs> to be like, oh yes. But I know exactly the scene that you're talking about, and I know what you're talking about with the three dogs later that show up. Well, it's funny because um, that first dog, it's like the scene goes on because they cut this Yui, and it's like, and the dog runs out, starts chasing after it. And it looks like I know that they're trying to hit the dog, but the dog's booking it because dogs don't know what they'll do if they catch a car. You know, they'll chase cars. They don't know what they're going to do if they catch it. And I'm like, he's going to hit that dog. But then the scene goes on. It's like. Oh well, at least at least we know what happened. And I just feel like that dog got pissed that that truck pulled a Yui illegally there on the road. Right. I think that dog was just <laughs> mad. He's like, I don't care if you're a sheriff and mayor, not in my town, and just like just took off after that truck. Yeah, so. and and what you're saying about the the heart makes sense with the first that first kill of the film that starts the film off. But I was just for whatever reason, there's always been a piece of me that's like, I'm not sure if that was. 
Harry Warden's kill at the beginning, but now that you're saying that, it, it reinforces the fact that it's probably the heart that's given to the sheriff at the beginning of the film. I I think it's interesting, though, that nobody's talking about a minor being killed at the beginning of the film, so I think that's also the reason that I'm, I'm unclear, because they're so... There's such a tight knit community that you think if like one of the miners went missing, they'd be like, "Hey, what happened to Sheila?" <laughs> well, <laughs> well one, I mean? one we know that no women are allowed in the mine. We learn that later. That's the one. That's thing we true. Learned. Yeah, but like you would think that they would have maybe had some forethought to do some payoff of having her body be there with the rest of them, just to kind of be like, "Oh, this is this has been here. No one found it because it's in the abandoned part of the mine." That would have been a nice little tie back because, but it has to be, um, the person who is the killer, um, you know, not giving anything away. It's a dude. It's a good looking dude. There's good looking dudes in this film. Uh, and, but so it's like the way she's acting towards him, you get the idea that he seduced her down there and was like, we're going to go down this mine and you're going to put on this outfit. And even though this place is like chock full of coal dust, I'm going to have you get down to your skivvies. I'm going to stay in my suit. Like why, why is the mine the horniest place to be in this whole movie? So here's a, here's a question for you though. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've had a few pairs, so maybe this isn't the most appropriate question, <laughs> but I feel like all of us, when we were in high school and I guess not so much college, because at least you had a dorm room, but if you had a girl that you were dating or whatever, like there was places in your town that you went to like make out. And I, I feel like in this town, that's what the coal mine suddenly has become for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that people are becoming horny because they're there. I just feel like it's the place that, <laughs> no, no, you know, their parents I, aren't at. I, I'm, I'm not saying that like, Oh, we're, we're being choked by coal dust. Oh, this is turning me on. But it's more like, it's like, Oh, nobody could find us like two miles below the surface of the earth or wherever it is. It's like what, but that place has to smell because it's a mine. It has to be creepy because it's a mine. It has to be damp because it's a mine. It has to be cold because it's a goddamn mine. Like, <laughs> like why? Like, like, I don't know. Like, um, like, I, like I told you, I grew up in a railroad town. I don't know how familiar you are with coal dust. It gets everywhere. And it's like, it's not a pleasant thing, you know? And it's like, I don't know why, like later on when the one couple wanders off into the, like the section where there's the bench, like the bench in like the dingy room. I don't know what that room is. Um, it's like, it's like a break room kind of in the middle of things down, down yeah. way down below. It's like, yeah, I don't know about that either. You know, like nothing, like you hear about people talking about, like if they, they go to a beach and make out how sand gets everywhere. That's bad. Coal dust? Because you have to assume it's a coal mine. And if it's not a coal mine, then what kind of mine is it? I mean, like, it, it still has to have, like, like mining shit all over the place. That's my thought. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember, though, a time where uh, any port in a storm would do when it came <laughs> to finding a spot to be with, a, a, a you know, a significant other. So An, um, an insignificant other, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there were... Uh, I'm sure plenty of bad choices that were made simply because we we're either in high school or didn't have somewhere to go. So. Oh, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not questioning like, you know, ugly basements. I'm not questioning cars. I mean, that's how America was built. I get it. You know, like that's fine. What one shitty backseat at a time, but it's like still, you know, like this is the middle of nowhere, Canada. Um, I'm sure you, could, you could, <laughs> so here's, yeah. here's what I'll say. So, Growing up in high school, I worked at a Ponderosa. Definitely not the most romantic place on earth. 
But if I had a shot with like <laughs> anybody and I was going to be doing it in the Ponderosa, totally would have done it. Don't care. Christ, I wish I could do this episode doing it in a Ponderosa. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I just think <laughs> that like, if, <laughs> if you're a couple and there's a place that's available to you where you won't get I, interrupted, we all, we all know the, the appropriate steakhouse would be Western Sizzling. <laughs> we know that. That would be the right one to do it at. All right. <laughs> There was not a Western Sizzlin to be found in this town. Uh, I love, this is amazing. I had no idea this conversation would take this turn. Um, so that's, yeah. that's the beauty of no dinner and a few beers and being at home. <laughs> right? You can just go to bed. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, <laughs> you don't have to drive 25 minutes after leaving here. Uh, it's, you're like, you're like, Paul, I'll see you later. I'm already asleep by the time you get home. It's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, no, this movie, I, I'll just, we'll just, I'll wrap it up this way saying, um, we didn't talk about the journey of the sheriff and the mayor where they had to keep calling out to other places and they'd be like, we have to search the microfilm. It's like, yeah, this, this film is definitely of its time. Um, but, uh, the tone in this, I'm not saying it, 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 it goes back and forth, but it definitely is more playful in a lot of places that upon rewatching, I wasn't expecting. So I feel like this film could have been played straight face and been grim and it would have been one thing, or it could have been goofy as all get out and been another thing, but it tries to walk a line and actually have some, some fun at times. And I think it's to its betterment. It's just that the tone, the tone of the film, I don't know if it could exist in something today without being sarcastic. That's that's fair, but I also think the fact that they make the characters likable helps make their deaths feel, at least in some cases, uh, a little bit more heavy or have yeah. some weight to them. Um, and I think that making you at least care about some of these characters, admittedly, I, I can't disagree with you, the, the women characters in this film are, for the most part, with the exception of Patty, who I think is at the center of the... the uh, love triangle the rest of them are kind of marginalized i yeah. can't disagree with that because but what, i think they at least hollis's, try to make you hollis's girlfriend just absolutely just she just shuts down like yeah. after his death and again i'm not saying it's an unrealistic reaction but it's like at the time you're just like just just you're you you know the way out like and she becomes a, such a a um screeching like like um i don't know like, it's frustrating because it's like and she becomes such a trope that it hurts like, cause everyone else is trying to get things done and she's done. She's mentally checked out. She's done. I'm not saying that you don't react that way physically. It's just, she was doing pretty good as a character in the movie. And then she just becomes like a further impediment, which I don't think is great for her character. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar sort of, and, and I think that uh, people are a little uh, hard on Judith O'Day's character in the original night of the living dead. But like, after Johnny is turned into a zombie in the first 15 minutes of the movie, Barbara is a walking catatonic. Like, <laughs> like she's almost a zombie herself. Um, and the fact that like, she's unable to even like form sentences sometimes. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like I, I, I could see where you're coming with that. Um, I, again, it's hard to be like, well, I don't know that that's the most realistic, um, you know, the most realistic reaction to that type of thing. But I, I take your point that she does sort of fall apart as a character as soon as he's gone. 
Yeah, which I mean, again, you know, you have enough characters, you could do those different things. It's just, I feel like the women could have been better, a little bit better served, but. 1981 and they and you're right there's no like nudity and like straight up like there's no rapiness in the film which is also surprising in the yeah. sense of not surprising as in i was expecting full-on things no it was more you you watch no, these but films, if we look at 80s movies with with you know the burning uh, yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like again that's all you have to say is yeah. the burning <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, the, so there's a lot of things here. I like T- totally. It just kind of, it bounces around. I watching this a second time, like, cause I, the first time I'd seen this, uh, I was at a friend's house and it was, um, a couple years ago, it was going from Friday the 13th into Saturday the 14th, which was Valentine's day. So we ended up watching Friday, Friday the 13th part two. And then going into my bloody Valentine. So it was a fun transition going from. The that's 13th. actually a really fun. That's a good double feature. It is. That you and, say that. And whenever um, the director of this film was at cinema wasteland was this time around. No, no, not this time around the one before um, whenever uh, uh, George uh, um, um, was it um, Mahalka. Mahalka was there. And I went up to him. I was like, sir, I just want to tell you that this was the double feature. He's like, he's like, that's a lot of fun. And he, you know, so he thought that was great. And it's like, I feel like he was like, that's what I was going for. So like, that was, it was fun for me to tell him like, this is the night I had, you know? So watching this again, um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you, you were speaking about the ending being, they've added something to the ending. Cause I did not realize that the killer was trapped because of a collapse. People are trying to get him out. His arm is pinned and he actually cuts his own arm off to get away. Is that what happens? Yeah, okay. and like you don't see that in the theatrical cut, but the additional again, it's probably maybe more no more than ten to fifteen seconds worth of footage, but you get an insert of him cutting his own arm off, which makes a hell of a lot of sense where you're like, Oh, he cut his arm off to get away. Like at least once you have that piece of it, you're like, Oh, that ending makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, because he just goes like the character they, they do they do this reveal of like his whole motivation for everything, which I think comes way too late in the film. Not that you need to have it like in your face the entire time, but the reveal of the motivation is so far down the line. That's frustrating to me because it's like they reveal it. I'm like, oh, OK, well, that makes sense, but I don't care now. Like um, and it was frustrating because you could have at least teased some of that throughout. And he didn't do any of that. Um, and you're probably going to tell me something was made decision wise later, but watching that and then not realizing he cut his arm off. And then the way he just goes off cackling into a mind shaft, like talking and teasing those around, like teasing, um, the love interest on the way out that feels so different than the rest of the film, but it, it's cool. It doesn't, it just doesn't fit the rest of the film. No, no. And actually I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, <sighs> With And again, I keep going back to Friday the 13th because it's the easiest comparison. But, you know, with Pamela Voorhees, you know, you get a monologue, at least explaining it. Here you get a 30-second flashback. It's like, oh, by the way, Harry Warden killed his dad, and that's why he's crazy. Like, you get a little bit more contextualizing for the character as to why they're suddenly bad shit crazy where you don't get that with Axel at all. Uh, I guess I just gave it away. The killer is, but <laughs> spoilers. Um, and it is funny that uh, on the, the Blu-ray, they, they go to this uh, length of talking to all the different actors and, and uh, they make it a thing of like, Oh, so you really didn't know who the killer was because they apparently kept it a, a secret from the cast, but the guy who plays 
the character who turns out to be the killer is like, yeah, um, so I had to have my arm cast, and I realized that, like, the killer had his arm cut off, and I realized that I was the killer. He's like, I know everybody keeps saying that they didn't know who the killer was. He's like, I, I pretty much knew it was me. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, I don't know where I was going with no, that. No, but just but... in terms of like him, like the way he just finally just snaps and was like, "Won't you be my bloody Valentine?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like there's no. It's just it works, but it's like you just because you're crossing the finish line, and the the movie ends on that kind of note of like, "Is he going to get away? Is this going to continue?" I like that kind of ominous tone, and then also, and spoiler, the the music at the end of this film. The first time watching this, I, I was quite uh, full of moose heads, and I didn't recall the ending of the film that well. Um, and the music at the end of this film is actually quite great. And yeah. it's like, it, it just kind of gives it like this air of like, not reality, but it fits into the whole folklore. And I really dug it. It's just the ending of this film is great. It just doesn't butt up perfectly. It doesn't dovetail real well with the rest of the film. That That's, if I mean, that's a critique. It's a small one, but it's a critique. I do feel like maybe had we had that reveal before he went into the mine shaft and maybe gotten a little bit of why he is the way he is progressively throughout the last half of the movie, it would have been more effective dramatically because you'd been like, oh, my God, he's there and they don't know who he is. That kind of thing. I think that would have worked more. But again, I have to say, rewatching this for film that I didn't really have a, a, a warm spot for in my heart. Um no pun intended, uh, <laughs> rewatching it and, and sort of examining it from this, this point of view from, I, I don't remember when I originally saw it, but I, I was much higher on the remake for a long time. And now that I've reexamined it, uh, I, I, this is, this is a gem that I overlooked for a very long period of time. And I'm very glad to see this release from scream factory. I'm very glad to see, uh, it getting the love that it deserves and, and love that I didn't initially show it. And it's a far better movie than I thought it was originally than I watched it. I mean, hell, I watched it twice in one weekend upon this rediscover. So uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you fell in love with a film called My Bloody Valentine and around Valentine's Day. So I think that's perfect. I think that's a good way to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, like I'm tempted to buy the Screen Factory edition myself. However, I just spent like, you know, eight bucks buying it dig- digitally, the regular cut on Amazon. And I think I'm okay for right now, though. I think it'd be great to revisit like the, the longer like cut with you, like watching it and just, you know, having, having some actual goddamn moose head and just watching it and having, you know, having some fun with that. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a good night. I, I, I contemplate doing your super bro thing, but like a month before Halloween is sort of a prep for Halloween where I'm like, Hey, let's all get together and watch horror movies in September as we get ready for Halloween. But I, I know that you have a thing about doing it too early, so. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, if you have a party <laughs> and you're watching horror films, I'll be there. Just my problem is that everybody's just like, hey, everybody, we're going to start celebrating Halloween July 5th. That's my problem. Is like, <laughs> And it's not because I'm anti-Halloween. I'm just anti, like, just give everything its time and place, you know? So, yeah, that's I'll that's have all. to find the horror version of Super Bro for September. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, whatever, you know, just call it, you know, call it boot timber or something. And this will watch horror movies all day and it'll be fun. But Sweet. yeah, um, highly recommend this film. If you, if you guys don't want to buy the, the fancy screen factory release, um, you can find this digitally. It is, I think it's actually available for free on crackle, uh, with ads, um, which, you know, I didn't want to watch ads. I just decided to just buy it digitally. It's like, it's like two or three bucks, like at almost, uh, digital platforms. So it's definitely worth the rent. Uh, it's a, if you guys want a little bit more, uh, something with a little bit more gore for your Valentine's day, it, you, you like, this is, this is a fun movie and there, there's a lot of it that's worth like worth your time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for our talk about my buddy Valentine before we get into some, a little additional, uh, looking for love slash Valentine's talk. Uh, you guys can find us on invasion of the podcast. We have a Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on invasion of the podcast.com where that's our blog. Uh, you know, I've not had anything recently. I've been a bad person about that. I'm still, we've have our year of animation and we're still kind of sussing that out and I've not written anything recently, but Something will happen eventually. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll watch other mind-based slasher films. There's probably not that many. Watch. I'll find like 80 of them, you know? Um, <laughs> I know there's, a, there's that film, The Prowler, that looks like a lot like this film. Um, but anyway, it's neither, neither here nor there. Um, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, uh, Stitcher, Podbean. Um, you know, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, and Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday night slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook on the Saturday night slasher. And if you want to buy a physical copy of the comic, you can buy it at art of the slash on Etsy. Perfect. All right. So now, uh, we talked about one part of Valentine's day. Now let's get to our other part. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. I'm just, we're just going like, to keep going now is what's going to happen. Uh, so it's time to play the game, but I just want to let you guys know while between uh, us talking about all our different things that we did and going to the game here, Steve forgot to, to mute his Skype on his phone and he, he's like, I got to use the restroom. Like, okay. So I heard all of it and now we're back and it's, it was amazing. So it was great. <laughs> I was trying to definitely make it to the bathroom with, yeah. without disconnecting, but I thought I'd muted it. Yeah, he, did, he did didn't mute not. it. He did not mute it. So, but <laughs> but thankfully for the world, I didn't record that. So, all right. Anyway, oh. uh, that is not the game. The game is not see if Steve can go to the bathroom with turning like uh, <laughs> Skype. So. <clears throat> All right, so because it is Valentine's Day, I figure, you know what? We're going to make a dating profile. I'm not going to tell you who it's for uh, until we're done. It's like a Mad Lib style. So you're going to give me this stuff. So first thing I need is a cute Ooh. animal name, like a cute a animal. A cute animal name. Um, like what's what's an animal you think's cute? Fluffy? Well, I mean, fluffy, I, that's fine. I, was, I, I didn't know if you were going to be like, oh, I like sugar gliders or whatever. That's fine. Sugar gliders? You, okay. If you don't know what they are, you should look them up. They're cute. All right. And so. Oh, so wait, it's a type of animal, not an actual. But fluffy also name. works. That's fine. I'll put fluffy okay. in here. That's fine. I didn't specify. All right. Uh, worst job you ever had? Ponderosa. Wow. Oh, no, no I, I had you asked me when I was in high school, I would have said that, but I'd only had that job. Um, oof. 
Works a lot of bad jobs. I'm going to say probably pest control technician. Pest control technician. Okay. Or Terminex, however you want to put it. Oh, I'm nuts smiting the company. All right. I didn't spell that right, but no one can see my words. Okay. Give me a type of exercise. Jazzercise. Jazzercise. Okay. That's perfect. All right. Uh, something you would do in a park. Um, play baseball. Play baseball. Okay. Uh, an extreme sport. No. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an extreme sport. I guess BMX. BMX. All right. I like it. That's perfect. BMX biking. I love it. Uh, okay. What? What is? Um, just give me a name of any Nicolas Cage film. The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. Yes. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Okay, and which uh, which kill is your favorite kill from a Friday Thirteenth film? Ooh, my favorite. I know that the um, the sleeping bag kill is a lot of people's favorite, but I, I still think the corkscrew in the hand and meat cleaver to the face of Crispin Glover in Part Four will always be my favorite. So I guess you can say meat cleaver to the face. Meat cleaver to the face. Okay. All right. And then, okay. Uh, give me, this is a little weird, a slogan from an ad that you remember growing up, like as you like were watching TV or listening to the radio, what's a slogan that was stuck in your head from like a commercial or a product? This is so weird. I don't know why this popped up first, but Bartles and James remembers. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. This is going to be so stupid. All right. Uh, all right. So give me a verb. Any verb? So um, it's an action word. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Okay. <laughs> Run. Run? Okay. Give me a crime. Mopery. Mopery? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Mopery from Revenge of the Nerds? Yeah, it's like they're just hanging out, right? Like it's just basically being a vagrant, right? No, Mopery in Revenge of the Nerds. And I don't even think it's an actual real crime. The way... The way it's described as is a uh, uh, flashing naked people. <laughs> I'm sorry, flashing blind people. Oh. I don't know how I screwed that up. I've um, had too much to drink this okay. evening. And Clearly, give me give me another verb. Another verb. Yeah. Um, farting. Farting. Okay, this is great. We're almost done. Uh, a name and emotion. Mm, joy. Joy. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite Dorito flavor? Cool Ranch. Cool Ranch. I was kind of hoping you'd say that. All right. Okay. And then uh, I'm going to say name a body part, but not not one of the sexy bits. Just name a body part. Uh, the pinky. Pinky? I said not a sexy part. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> and another verb, because I was running out of things to try to think of. All right. Uh, another verb. I, I, I believe I said, uh, run and farting. Um, <laughs> I know there's no other verbs left. <laughs> eating? Eating? Or okay. Eat? eat. All right. Eating. <laughs> That's going to be weird. All right. Last thing here. Favorite fast food dollar value menu item. Ooh. 
Uh, I don't know if it's still on the dollar menu, but I'd say the McDouble. McDouble, and it's not, but I'll allow it. All right. Okay, so I got this all filled out. So with your with your great information here, so we've we've now made a uh, a dating profile for the Saturday Slasher. All right, so uh, which is your web comic that you do, and you guys you're adding new panels all the time now. So uh, up on the the, the web. Yeah, comic um, we just started adding new pages. Uh, as of last week, a new page went up, and. Uh, hopefully for the next couple months, we'll see a new page every week. Perfect. All right. So this is his dating profile because I don't think he gets out much other than like the weekends. Um, he's like, hi, my name is a science slasher, but my close friends call me fluffy. Um, I live in Ohio and by day I am a pest control technician, but I'm more of a night owl. Uh, I'm, I'm into, I'm into jazzercise, playing baseball, BMX and knives. <laughs> I think those were all valid. I, um, my favorite film was The Wicker Man. My favorite band is Meat Cleaver to the Face, um, which I think is appropriate for that science slasher. That is. Um, if I had to describe myself in a few words, it would be Bartle and James remembers. I think that's appropriate. Uh, my motto for life is run, mopery, and farting. <laughs> Uh, I don't talk a lot and tend to hide my emotions behind a mask of joy. Um, most of my relationships have been short, but I'm looking for something more long-term. Um, what do I look for in a partner? I do love girls with cool ranch eyes and a pinky that won't stop eating. I don't know what that means. Also an appreciation for the McDouble is a plus. If you like what you see, hit me up. I'm mainly free six nights a week. Saturdays are pretty full, but if you're that special someone, I can cut out a few hours for you. So that is, hopefully we can find the science slasher, some love and some, uh, you know, companionship out there. Oh, that's amazing. I hope I didn't wrote by my laughing over <laughs> no. your reading of it. I oh think, my God. Think, Bravo, I think, sir. I think your new, uh, your new motto for life should be run mopery and farting. And also <laughs> we can never forget the Bartle and James remembers. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I like it. Oh wait, was, uh, was it Bartle and James remembers or was it Smuckers remembers? I thought I, it was Pepperidge Farm I... remembers. I don't remember uh, what it is, but I like Bartles and James. I like that. Seagram Seven remembers. Yeah. Right. What the hell was their catchphrase then? I don't even know. Uh, let me look it up. Well, let's see if we can find what Barlow and James was known for, um, other than you know getting people white girl wasted. Uh, okay. Oh my god! I feel like Barlow and James had a had some sort of catchphrase that I completely screwed up. No, it was. Um, let's see here. And thank you for your support was the <laughs> catchphrase. So how about that phrase? If I had to describe myself in a few words, it would be thank you for your support. That doesn't make any sense. I like Bartle and James remembers, even though that wasn't true. I like it. So perfect. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think on that note, I should not, I should not record at home because, uh, I cannot hold my liquor. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Bartle and James remembers. So that's what I want to say about that. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys have a good Valentine's day. I hope uh, you find somebody that can have an appreciation for the McDouble as much as science slasher does. Uh, next week, we're taking the week off because clearly we need some time away from uh, all this. And we're coming back the week after for our year of animation. Don't know what we're watching yet. We'll announce on the Facebook. I'm sure there's plenty of things to choose from, but we've not picked it yet. But yeah, have a, have a good weekend, everybody, and have a nice, safe weekend, and don't go hanging out in any mines. And thank you for putting up with me. Yeah!
Once upon a time On a sad valentine In a place known as Panigale Mine A legend began Every woman and man Would always remember the time And those who remained Were never the same You could see the fear in their eyes Once every year As the 14th draws near There's a hush all over the town For the legend they say On a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago Twenty years came and went And everyone spent the 14th in quiet regret And those still alive know the secret survives In the darkness that looms in the night For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago this little town when the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go the horror from long time ago and no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago